Hello, welcome to Love Alexi. My name is Alexi Wasser. I'm your host, and this is my podcast. And my guest today is Leah Dietrich. She's the author of the memoir, Vanishing Twins, A Marriage, which I read, and uh, it's fucking incredible. And I just finished reading it. I actually listened to all of my books, and she reads her book, which is my favorite when the author reads their their own work. Um, makes me feel like I'm closer to them. Anyway, uh, I read the book, and then right after I finished, Leah walked through my door, and we started podcasting, and uh, it was just all very moving for me. And uh, so you should read it too. So you can have a profound experience like I did. Anyway, more about Leah. Her essays and short fiction have been published by Lenny Letter, Lit Hub, BuzzFeed, Bomb Magazine, and so many other places. She lives between Portland, Oregon, and Los Angeles, California with her husband and her daughter. You can find her on Twitter at Leah Dietrich. You can find her on Instagram at And The Tide Was Way Out. And you can also visit her website at Leah Dietrich. And her book is available for purchase everywhere, Amazon and most indie bookstores uh, that you go to. I hope you go to indie bookstores, you fucking monsters. Just kidding. Just kidding. You guys are great. Uh, Please don't leave. Come back. Hello. Anyway, um, I had a lovely conversation with Leah. Uh, this This is one of my favorites. I might say that about every episode, but I don't mean it. This time, I mean it. I mean, we talk about open relationships. We talk about, uh, you know, just, we talk about witchcraft, spells, open relationships, uh, the benefits of monogamy versus open relationships. And uh, just my favorite thing is talking about feelings, love, what it all means, why we're doing all this, why we put ourselves through the difficulty and turmoil that comes with love and relationships and intimacy. And uh, that is the essence of everything discussed in this two-hour conversation with just me and Leah, two like-minded souls brought together by a mutual friend that I only know over the internet. I'm talking about you, Katie Krentz. I should have Katie Krentz on my podcast. If you guys uh, aren't uh, Hollywood insiders and you don't know who Katie Krentz is, that's your problem, not mine. Uh, She's a Tinseltown wonderkin. I don't know. I don't even know what I'm talking about. It's very late. I'm recording this podcast intro, but uh, she's a Hollywood insider uh, responsible for cool things on television. Uh, That's a new way to pronounce television. Um, You know, she's in the animated world and uh, she's responsible for greatness. Anyway, and she's the reason why Leah is on my show today because uh, she connected us via Instagram and I'm so glad she did. So before I throw us over to this conversation, you guys, man, it has been a wild uh, few weeks for me. I've been, uh, I got off of uh, Zoloft. I'm back on Zoloft. I'm on a higher dose now because I realized, oh shit, the the meds were working and uh, I didn't realize that they were working until I was off them. And now I feel so much calmer. Now, when you listen to this conversation, uh, I think I, I felt like manic that day. I was like so excited had so many feelings uh, just, you know, uh, circulating through my body and uh, in my mind and my heart and my soul and what have you after reading Leah's book that uh, I noticed that when I, when I listened back to this conversation, I was like, <laughs> um, which is maybe how I always am, but like more so. So that was fun. We experienced a bit of technical difficulty, but we 
get through that. So don't worry. That isn't the entire episode. That's just right at the, uh, up at the top. And uh, anyway, before I throw us over to this conversation, this wonderful conversation, um, I want to tell you some things. Uh, yeah, it's been a wild two weeks. Feeling better. Remember, I'm remembering to meditate. That boring cliche that meditation might help your life. Uh, it's not a lie. It's not a sham. And I've been doing it a lot lately, like 20 minutes twice a day. So 40 minutes total a day. And my God, is it helping my wild brain that gets me into so much trouble. So that's nice. And uh, I am throwing, I'm throwing a girls night in gathering uh, this coming Saturday, March 23rd from 7 to 10 p.m. in Los Angeles, California. If you are a girl or if you identify as female or whatever, anyway, uh, if you would like to come to this uh, gathering of women, uh, it's a safe space, if you will. Uh, you, you could also call it uh, girls group therapy. You could call, you could refer to it as a living room hang session because that's what it is. It's a night where a bunch of girls get together. Uh, you know, I just provide a space if you're new to Los Angeles or if you just have, have like a lot of things going on and you want to connect with other women. And sometimes it's nice to meet women you don't know. For one, you make a new friend. And, uh, and another reason it's great is because nobody knows you and you, it's just like uh, an opportunity to share with a bunch of people who are unbiased about uh, who you are and you know what you're all about. Uh, so you can just vent about whatever it is you're going through and uh, get feedback from other girls, exchange numbers and info and uh, yeah, feel less alone. So that's what Girls Night In is, an opportunity to connect and feel less alone, make new friends, bond. Uh, it's kind of, kind of like an Al-Anon-esque feeling, except I provide cocktails and uh, it's kind of like a slumber party vibe, except you're not sleeping over, you're adults. You got your own place to go back to. I mean, I hope. Maybe you don't, but you can't stay at Girls' Night Inn. All right? You got to go home. But it is a slumber party essence type vibe that I try to create. And it's really mellow. I kind of like, I, you know, I, I promote these nights. I used to do them. I did them every month for about two years. And then I took an eight-month break because it was like a lot of like psychic energy and just planning. And people can be so weird on the internet when you like tell them about something. Everybody is like a critic and it's like a shit talker or a troll or whatever. I mean, there's so many lovely people, but of course I get hung up on the trolls. And so I'd be like, I'd, I'd put a flyer out on Facebook and Instagram. And by the way, people on Instagram, so much nicer than people on Facebook. And yet, aren't they all the same people? So weird. I don't know what's going on. I feel like everybody has both accounts but the personalities that come out on Facebook are so different and more aggro than Instagram. I don't know why. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think I don't think so. I think I'm completely right. Anyway, but like I, I put out the flyer and I'm really trying to lower expectations. Just keep it mellow. It's it's not a rager. Girls' night in is not to be confused with uh, the, the night at Vanderpump Rules um, on at Sir on Vanderpump Rules the hit Bravo television show. I hope you guys are all addicted to like I am, uh, you know, and by the way, I think, I think sir and Vanderpump rules, they co-opted my name because I've had Ariana on my podcast from Vanderpump rules. And then all of a sudden they're calling their night girls night in. And then they invited me. They're like, you can come, you should come. I was like, what? I can't, what? 
I, but whatever, it doesn't matter. So I'm rethink, I'm thinking of renaming the night, uh, you know, living room hang or girls group therapy, but whatever. Just to lower expectations and get people to understand what the night is and not confuse it with a wild night happening in West Hollywood uh, at Sur. Okay? Because people did DM me on Facebook. These fucking dorks. These uh, so annoying. They were like, Ugh, okay. Um, yeah. So does that include a meal and a DJ? And I'm like, what? I just try to spell it out so clearly. In the caption, on the flyer, cocktails, a night of female bonding, super mellow, sharing your feelings. There will be no meal. There will be no DJ. In the past, I've had pizza and beer, and I've, cut, I've, I've done many different variations on Girls' Night In. And this is what this version of it is. This month, in March, on the 23rd, in 2019, this is what we're doing. I've made it very clear. There won't be a DJ, and there will not be a meal served for you. Internet trolls. How dare you? Can't we just have a nice, simple, cozy night anymore? Jesus Christ. Which is exactly how I'm advertising it. Anyway... That's my rant on that. Uh, I do want to say, if you and I are not friends on social media, uh, that's ridiculous. We should definitely be friends. On Instagram, my social media addiction of choice, at uh, Alexi Wasser. I do like Twitter also, at Alexi Wasser, but let's face it, main addiction, uh, hysterical addiction is Instagram. And... Uh, what else can I tell you? The Love Alexi podcast is a listener-supported podcast. It's an independent podcast. So if you want to support the show, uh, if you want to advertise on the show, would love that. Send emails uh, about uh, advertising inquiries to dearlovealexi at gmail.com. And if you just want to donate to the show, oh my goodness, please do so. Run, don't walk. You can make a donation via Venmo at Alexi Wasser. And... Uh, yeah, and if you want to go to Girls' Night In on Saturday, March 23rd, 7 to 10 p.m. in Los Angeles at a private residence, uh, all you have to do to secure your spot is be a girl, Venmo me $25 uh, to at Alexi Wasser, include your telephone number and your Instagram handle. Uh, I always like it if you set, set it to private. Set the Venmo exchange to private so not everybody has your phone number and you're protecting yourself. So yeah, that's all you have to do. And I can't wait to meet you and make a new friend and give you a big hug and, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, experience a special cathartic evening together. And there must be more I want to tell you. You know, all the pertinent podcast info. If you like this podcast, subscribe on iTunes, rate the show, leave a comment. I say that every week. I'm not kidding. It really does help. Rating the show, leaving a comment. Uh, you know, subscribing and telling everybody you uh, cross paths with is so helpful because I'm obsessed with podcasting. It's my favorite thing to do ever. And uh, all I want to do is keep doing it and uh, grow the show as much as possible. And you guys allow me, you people out there allow me to do that. Anyway, um, I'm going to shut the fuck up so you can enjoy my lovely conversation with author and my new friend, Leah Dietrich. 
You have to sign my book. Oh. Let me just breathe. Get yeah. get cozy okay. too. Thank you. Um, I'll take my shoes off. You look so cute. I usually wear white sneakers also. Aww. I'm I love, all about white footwear. It's just Me too. I find it I like the dorkiness of it. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like you're a kid. Mm-hmm. It's or, also, or a grandma. But it's or also a nurse. But it's also like the men men I'm attracted to wear white sneakers, like British guys yeah. and with dark denim and white Um All right, let me put my Oh you guys. Okay. Yeah, so let me just set the stage. First of all, okay, I already said this, but now on the mic, uh, I had like two hours left on the, I always listen to my books. So yeah, I had two hours left this morning because I had been listening. I fell asleep and then I was like, so I, I, like a few days ago, I like to listen to my stuff before bed, like podcasts and books. And I was like, fuck, I missed like a, a big chunk. I've got to go back. Anyway, so I finished the last two this morning uh, the last two hours of the book and uh, yeah and then I like just like started tearing up and then you knocked on the door and I'm like oh my god hello because <laughs> your book is so moving and uh, anyway let's keep the mic near your mouth because okay. I don't want to miss any of the gold absolutely um, just and for those of you out there who uh, it's Leah right Leah I don't yeah. want to okay, I wasn't sure if it was Leah I don't want to fuck this up you're right okay good <laughs> um, and I'll tell you about the mic too uh, touch it a ton, it picks up on that. Okay. And then the minute you move it away, if you're not like pretending you're in a rock band or something, then I won't get your beautiful voice. Okay. Okay. So this will be good. This is good. Awesome. Um, so to set the stage, uh, you know, I, we, we both have the exact same haircut pretty much. Yeah. I think yours is a little more effortlessly, effortlessly chic. That's what I'm going for, but got to grow it out a bit. Anyway, so how do we even end up here? Katie Krenz? Katie Krenz. Oh, actor. I think it turned off. Did it? Oh, God. Hello? Here, take my mic. All right. Yeah. I've never met Katie Krenz. Oh, really? I've never met her. I only know her from uh, Instagram. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she and I are best friends, um, and we've known each other since, like, we were 18, the first day of college we met, and we've been besties ever since. Is she mentioned in the book? Um, is she, she referred to? She is referred to. She has a pseudonym. She does. I was wondering. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, okay, so the book is Vanishing Twins, A Marriage. Um. And this is so. This is a, this is a memoir. Mm-hmm. It's a memoir. Yeah, it's a memoir. But I changed all of the names just to you know protect people's identities. Protect. I think that's pretty common to do in memoir. Yeah. Um, how would you, if you're at a party, somebody asks you what your book is about? How do you describe it? I usually say that it's about a strange, like a mysterious feeling that I have that I was supposed to have been born a twin, and that I've been trying to find that lost twin in a variety of relationships throughout the course of my life. And, and then, you know, also that through kind of like coming into my own artistic identity, I found a way to kind of move beyond that seeking to find myself in someone else and rather find myself in like the art that I'm making. Yeah. Something that I think is more sustainable. Of course, I don't think that it means that you don't need people still or that you can't learn from people or Uh. whatever, but... (laughs) You know, I just had this desperate feeling of like only being able to find myself in relationship with someone else. Um, And in the course of the stories that I tell about the people, you know, that were my quote unquote twins in the book, each one of those, um, that closeness that I would find with that person would eventually become, it would go from being like inspiring and exciting to then being suffocating and, you know, sort of damaging, I think. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't mean this in a. I, I'm going to relate this book to myself, not not because I'm a total narcissist, no, but because I like that. But, but uh, it moved me so much because I relate to it and it made me feel less alone and all this stuff. But uh, I don't mean this in an insulting way. But is a uh, vanishing twin syndrome or relating your relationship to people? Is that like a more romantic way of like referring to codependence? Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> because because I was like, wow, this really reminds me of me. So maybe I'm not codependent because I feel like I'm completely codependent or. I was like, I, yeah, this is way more cool away. I felt away. like that. I felt like that for a long time too. And then mm-hmm. when I found out about vanishing twin syndrome, which um, is a phenomenon where one it's it's one in eight pregnancies apparently begin as twins. So it's a lot, you know. There's a lot of people out there. So for everyone that we know in our lives that is like, oh, I feel codependent. I was like, well, maybe this is. I mean, maybe this is the grand answer for why we all are codependent. I don't know. It's okay. I, I don't know what I'm going to Give me your mic for a second. So what did you talk to science? This might be what happens. You guys were having technical difficulties. This is really irritating. Um, what did you scientifically find out, if anything, about uh, that, if that's true or not? I, I don't have any... I don't, there's no research that I know of about the, you know. The truth to the fact that maybe we are, oh yeah, okay. okay. No, I mean, I think the only hard facts that I know about vanishing twin syndrome is like I said, you know, one in eight pregnancies begin as twins and, but I don't actually know the statistic for how many twins are born. So, but you know, it's a pretty wide gap, I would say between those two. So it was really more just my speculation that this could be an explanation, not just for my own patterns, but like for a pattern I see culturally, you know, there's, and that is what I talk a lot about in the book too, is that I I think beyond like maybe any kind of biological drive there is here, there's like years and years, you know, millennia probably of like cultural um, conditioning that like you're looking for your lost half or someone to complete you. It's, I don't know why, I don't know, it's like going in and out. This is really fucking annoying. Okay, take this. But I might have to just keep... When if I grab it from you, just go with it. Okay. And you can just turn off the one that's not working, right? I mean, why does this have to be the day (laughs) that this is not working? Anyway. um, Yeah, because I feel like I wake up my entire life. Like, I used to have a blog called I'm Boy Crazy. Right. And... uh, you know, I have horrible daddy issues. I've learned that my attachment theory is my, my attachment uh, style style is like, you know, uh, anxious avoidant. No, no, I'm anxious. Just like, because I've had it like an intense attachment with my parents and then had, have it, have it, it's been taken away. Mm-hmm. So my entire life, I feel like I've always woken up. Well, that's one thing. But then another thing is, which I'm sure they're related, has always been like, I, in my entire life, I've always woken up with, with the uh, hope in the back of my mind that maybe today's the day I'll meet the my person, you know, my other half, my, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, and I can get very dark and I think I'm very romantic. And I just saw this movie called Cold War. Did you see it? I haven't seen it Oh my it God. Yet. I think you'd love this movie. Yeah. Do you know what it's about? I or, don't. It's a, it's a romantic story about in, uh, I don't know. It's about, well, it takes place in the olden days. I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> Forget it. It's not even about that. But uh, anyway, I just feel like you'd like this movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, are you still with your husband, by the way? Yes. He but, just dropped me off. He did? <laughs> yeah. And he goes by Eric in the book. Yes. Not, his, not real his real name. Um, and yeah. in the book, I mean, okay, so just to tell everybody, you exp- yeah, you explore, uh, you realize you're bisexual, mm-hmm. you explore being in an open relationship, 
are you still in an open relationship? No. No? It was not sustainable. And in fact, it's funny, he related something that we're going through now. I think we're like trying to decide whether we should stay living in Portland or move back to LA and this back and forth. And we were like, that question is just taking up so much of our mental space and energy. And he was like, it's like being in a polyamorous relationship. Whereas like, I can't do anything other than like think about this or manage this one facet of my life. And that really is why that I feel like we had to stop with the open relationship is it just took to do it ethically. It took so much time and like care, you know, of like managing everyone's feelings. You know, yeah, I I can barely be in a monogamous relationship. I also find that difficult. Yeah, (laughs) And I am so like, I can be, I don't want to admit it, jealous and territorial and like controlling and OCD, you know, with Instagram, who's he following? Is he, is he what's he thinking? How's he mm-hmm. feeling? I want to know every single thing. Like, is mm-hmm. it, you know, uh, I have to say that when we were in the open relationship, it was just at that point, it was, it was in the Facebook era. There was no Instagram. Oh God. And I feel like I, I don't know, maybe I was as into social media then as I was now just with the tools that existed, but I don't think that I was, you know, it wasn't as big of an obsession and I'm so glad because I think it would have been way more difficult. How do you deal with the jealousy? Now, do you get jealous now? Um, And does social media, do you like pay attention to who he follows or... Not really. He's not into, he's really not into social media. so lucky. Me too. I know. I'm like jealous. I wish I could be better about that. Yeah. He has it. He looks at it, but he's one of those people that can look without then also posting and needing that dopamine hit of like, do people like me? Which I am, you know... Me too. Like many people, very... I fall prey to. Oh God. I know. Well, why did you... Because you wanted... You wanted the open relationship, right? You asked for it. Yeah. And by the way, tell me if there's nothing you, if things you don't want to give away or how oh, much. Sure. But uh, really, just finished reading it. Love your book so much, <laughs> so great. And again, like I don't even know how I know Katie Krentz on Inst- Katie Krentz on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm just so thankful that Probably she put us together. Mutual friends. We have tons of mutual friends. Yeah. She's she's wonderful. I've like fallen in love with her from afar, and yeah. I'm just like, oh my god, her cute, wonderful family. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we have so many mutual friends. Uh, Anyway, I'm just thankful for Katie. Yeah, Katie, me too. I assume you're listening. If you're not, that's <laughs> ridiculous. How dare you? Anyway, I'm just glad she brought us together. Yeah. And that she knew my sensibility enough to know like, oh my God, you have to have uh, her Amazing. on the show. Um, yeah. Why did you... So you were so young when you got married. Yeah. And you feel like you... And he completed. You always had the vanishing... You've always had this vanishing twin uh, idea or, or just wanting to be completed by somebody or, mm-hmm. or tuck into somebody or yes, feel... Yes, tuck into somebody is a great way of... Describing it to feel loved and seen and cozy and complete and am I right? I don't mean to put yeah, all these words. and to feel le- like mm, more confident. I think if I had like my person by my side or somebody who I could always sort of check in with to be like, how should I be? You know, just all that crazy yeah stuff where you wish, why can't I do that for myself? But I think it's really difficult. Yeah, I go through a thing, and this is tangential. I'm all over the place right now, but uh. I go through a thing where I'm so good alone. Mm. Like I used to be so promiscuous because I was searching. Promiscuous, wanting to make out, always just being like, maybe that's the guy, you know, mm-hmm. maybe he's the guy in the club or the person or whoever I see, like maybe that's the next love of my life. And I was searching for that. But then, oh, I don't even know how to explain this. I had to stop dating completely and was completely alone because that's when I could be my complete self. But I and I want to balance the two. I, I'm in the midst of like trying to now that I'm, I'm in love with someone. I've been with them for a year. It's been very painful and difficult for me 
so many good things, but also like, cause you have to see yourself mirrored back in someone else's eyes and uh, explain your behavior and all the horrible deep rooted shit pops up only in relationships because you, somebody can see you and they're like commenting on it and you've got to like, oh, it's just, anyway, I want to learn how to be as happy and myself as I am when I'm alone within a relationship. So tell me how you got there because yeah. you got there. I think I have gotten closer oh, for sure. I'm so jealous. <laughs> yeah. I think honestly, therapy has been a big part of that because I think that allowed me an opportunity to have like another person to sort of, um, you know, air some of that shit to and with and in front of, but there are obviously such clear boundaries. And maybe that's really what it is, is like the boundaries yeah. that I needed to learn how to develop in my real relation, like my intimate relationships or even my friendships of like, you know, well, one of them, you know, with the sexuality stuff was that like, I had this tendency to, to sexualize like every friendship or relationship that, Me I, that too. was how I got close to people. It was like, maybe I can make out with you. Yeah. doesn't matter your gender. Yeah. And that was always, it always ended up badly for me because it just messed things up. And at some point I sort of, I mean, after the writing of this book or during it, as I was like really digging deep and thinking about these things and trying to look at myself and the patterns that I had, I suddenly, it just kind of stopped happening. It didn't, Maybe it had to be conscious for a little while, but I remember waking up one day and being like, oh my God, I met this woman who I really like think she's so cool. I want to be friends with her, but I realized like, I'm not going to email her 30 times in a day and I'm not going to try to make out with her. Yeah. It's just not occurring to me. And I still feel like secure in knowing that like, she likes me. We're going to have a hopefully long relationship. It doesn't have to like yeah. go so hard and so fast or whatever. What was your, <clears throat> the need to sexualize stuff? What's I guess I can totally relate to that. So yeah. what is uh what's that from? Do I you think? No, it's a great question, um, and one that I haven't really gotten to the bottom of in any way. We're like just I don't have any people. like trauma in my history. You that don't no trauma. No trauma. No, what? No sexual trauma. Yeah, me neither. I always say that to people so casually. Like I wasn't molested, but uh, so I don't know why I'm like that. But right. I, <laughs> I don't know. So many like, people were. I know. But you know? so I feel lucky that I don't have any um, you know, any serious like trauma. So I don't know where it comes from. I really don't. I do know that my parents are pretty, um, they're very like secure in their relationship and kind of like very steadfast and, um, they're still together, right? mm -hmm, They are. And I think sometimes that, I don't know, you always sort of want to rebel a little bit against what your parents do. And I think I was like, well, I want to be, you know, I want to explore more. I want to be crazier, but yet you're also like the you know, the product of the people who raised you. So like them, I got into a relationship really early and just like stuck with it. And I, in a different way, of course, because, you know, we have had these sort of like periods of our relationship. Um, And it's funny, it also reminds me, not as an answer to your question, but um, do you know Esther Perel? I, she's on my, yes. When you started talking about a bridge and desire, yeah. you're referring to Esther that Perel, book. right? Yeah, to mating in captivity. And I saw her, I love her TED Talk. It's one of my favorite yes. TED Talks where it's like in order to create desire in a long-term relationship, you've got to like give space. And so yes. I try to remember that in my thing because I'm very yeah. like, <gasps> I never want to leave All you. Like for you. Yes. Yeah, I'm so Reading that book um, when I was like, you know, in the very early phases of, maybe of wanting to open the relationship. I can't remember when her book came out, but it was probably a little after that where I was like, okay, this is what we need. We need distance. And I want to create that distance by um, opening a relationship or moving apart from each other and but staying together. And those weren't things that she recommended in her 
her book, but that was how I wanted to do it. But anyway, she also says, um, I think, I don't know if it's in that book or not, but that most people will have like three serious relationships or three marriages in their life and that some people will have those with those three relationships with one person. And I, that was when, cause I kept thinking like, is it just limiting myself like, and my potential to just only be in a romantic relationship with one person for my entire life. But when she said that it definitely gave me a little like bit of relief that yeah, like this is, this can be three. And we often, like my husband and I often talk about like, which one are we on? Are we on two or are we on three? Yeah. We're definitely on two. But yeah, I, I like that potential because it allows you to think about the fact that like you will both change. And ideally, you know, if it's meant to continue, it will, um, if the people you change into are still compatible. I don't know why I'm like, Wanting to cry so much today. I don't mind at all. I'm not I cried a bunch period. this morning too. <laughs> you did? Is yeah. it in the air? Think, oh, there's a it full is. moon tomorrow, uh-huh. I think. Yeah. Uh, just because well, relationships are just so difficult. I'm problematic. You seem very intense and exciting, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But uh, yeah. And I think my, my last guest on this podcast, she wrote a book called The Book of Help, uh, A Memoir and Remedies. Mm. And she, we were talking about relationships. Her book started because uh, her husband cheated on her and the relationship ended. And then she's went on this journey doing all these like self-help modalities to kind of self-actualize. And, mm-hmm. and uh, we end up talking in, in our conversation about uh, about how you can have like t- yeah, 10 different relationships I mean, it, in one relationship or yeah. 10 different what, what's the word you used? It was a relationship or 10 different... Marriages. Marriages or, in one yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, I hope that's true. I want that to be true. I want it to be true too. And maybe and it sort of like makes me think that maybe my parents have had that too. Maybe that any relationship that lasts 30, 40 years has to, has to have those kinds of phases. Because people just don't stay the same. Yeah. Um, which is good. Which is good. Yeah. Or at least I think it's good for me because that was my fear was that I was going to be stifled and never grow. But you, so, so, so interesting. So you were so, I don't want to say codependent, but so into the relationship, but then you went the other way Mm -hmm. where you're like, I feel stifled. I want to open it up. If you had never opened it up, he never would have opened it up, would he? No. Because you met somebody very different from you, but balances you up in a lovely way, right? Yeah, I think so. And... The thing about open relationships, I mean, I wouldn't really want to explore that too. I think that's so fun because I haven't really talked about that on this podcast. Yeah. But, uh, and is it freezing in here? No, I'm fine. Are you? Okay. Cold? All of a sudden I'm cold. <laughs> Maybe I'm just feeling so many feelings. Mm. I'm just a. <laughs> the thing that I, you know, even in, in reading your book, with open relationships, when you would meet someone and you had your relationships, or and then he met somebody in London. Uh, but then ultimately they, they said like, I can't share you. This is not what I want for myself. I thought it is kind of selfish. Like when I look at open relationships, well, first of all, I'm way too jealous. I don't, I don't want that for me and this is not about me, but I'm just relating it to me. But, uh, but then also I've been approached by couples before where they're like, oh, you know, or, or the guy wants to, cause I'm heterosexual, wants to date me. And I'm like, I just can't. Cause then if I fell in love with you, this would just be like, torture for me so what is your take on that where you had that encounter because I don't think it's wrong for them to want to be with you or with this woman in London and wanting to be with your husband but Mm -hmm. then like 
they're just in this thing. You have to meet another person who's into open relationships. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And that's really hard. Yeah. I think I feel like when I I don't know, my my experience like with the the particular relationship that I that was the most significant that I had, which is the one that I wrote about in the book. That's I mean, cuz I had others that were like lustful. Yeah, yeah, they were just they were like shorter, yeah. you know. Um, but I was always really upfront with everyone about my boundaries and like I'm married and I'm not looking to like replace that person and um yeah and this particular woman was just like I'm okay with that yeah and what's her character's name in the book um Elena Elena but then there's who's the woman before that um Jimena Jimena and Elena yeah okay and they're both Spanish um or no one is Peruvian and the other is Spanish yeah okay um and you know, she, Elena was like, was really at the beginning said she was fine with that. And so that's why it worked. And then I think at a certain point when it wasn't working, she was just like, this isn't, I mean, it's funny. I don't remember if she was like, this isn't enough for me, but she basically was like, you're not doing this right. You're too, you're too enmeshed with him to give me what I need. And I was like, okay, I guess you're right. That was true. Yeah. Still, you know, but I, but then I think it wasn't, I felt like it was a personal failing that I couldn't be, you know, in both places at the same time equally, but it really was not. I think it was just a function of that the relationship style was too hard, you know, to, to do well enough for everyone to with, be happy. With her, it was long distance too, yeah. right? And long actually distance. him, it was long distance too for a lot of that period because yeah. I was living in LA and she was living in London and he was living in New York. And so we were really just seeing each other, which I think was what made it possible Yeah, because of the fact that so much of those relationships were conducted like through, you know, Skype and text and yeah. um, writing and video chatting and you know I think that's easier to compartmentalize your life when you're doing that than it is like if you're one lives on one street and one lives on another street (laughs) one lives with you or were you totally doing your you're you're a writer is this all this is what you do this is your main thing Mm -hmm. I mean obviously you're here promoting a book this is great (laughs) but I just mean I wasn't sure because you've you've been a dancer Mm -hmm. you are a dancer a ballet dancer and then it just seems like you're completely creative in a million different facets right yeah, I have had lots of creative interests and I think as I've like gotten older I've just I don't know, well the ballet thing kind of went away yeah. when I was younger and has been replaced predominantly by writing, but also like I've made some films and some, you know, but mostly it's pretty You're narrowly right. focused in writing. Do you feel like the writing became you you focus more on the writing and it got more serious when you stopped uh, when you went back to being monogamous, yeah, or that was that was the you know because so like so many creative people I think who have a lot of interests you know in different things I was always like starting ten projects and never finishing them or um and what's that about why does that happen oh it's a good question and you don't procrastinate do you I am sure I do <laughs> I think you say you do in the book actually but uh, yeah I do but, uh, um I think I often procrastinate. With other projects too, yeah. you know. God, your hair looks great. Oh, we have thank to. You. <laughs> thank you. This is a slept on. Really? Didn't do anything to it? Oh my yeah. god! I went I with a blunt. Why. I went with a blunt cut on the bottom. Usually, it's because uh, you've got some te- some uh, layers. I haven't got. This is the longest I think my hair's ever been. This is fantastic. Sorry, I don't I'm mean so to interrupt. Yeah, it's like just, it, I can't. I'm upset. Last <laughs> night, I was like, I'm angry. 
I was like, should I just cut my hair? Like, no. I'm so sick of this. Oh yeah, you got I'm that. Glad to hear that. You got that haircut in the book. Oh yeah, I got a big haircut. But I was, I'm talking like I would get a. You bob. got a mullet. You got a yeah, mullet in the book. I've had all kinds of haircuts. You upset your husband, big time. What a jerk. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Not about the coffee. Oh, yeah, cool. Not the haircut. Not the haircut. Um, anyway, but, but uh, yeah. oh, so you would start a bunch of projects, yeah. you wouldn't and then finish. Once I stopped, um, you know, when I was having this open relationship, I was like really inspired creatively by the various people that I was oh, you were? in relationships with. I'm turning the heater on. Don't stop. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I was writing like little things here and there um, that while, you know, like what I could do. But then. When I um, when I decided that it would be better for our relationship to just be monogamous, I suddenly was like, through? "Yeah," and I had more time. I had more like space. I think psychically and creatively, that I wasn't just expending on trying to um, make things to delight this or that person. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I, I, do you feel like uh, all these relationships, all this energy to other people and romance and yeah. whatever was like a way of like keeping yourself from yourself. Because mm-hmm. I fucking do that in my monogamous relationship. I'm like, oh God, I'm obsessing. I'm wondering. I'm starting a fight over nothing. He said this. What did it mean? Does he love me enough? Is he looking at people on Instagram? I don't even know, but he might be, and that upsets me. And all. That. And it's like, oh my God, if you just took the attention off him and forgot he existed for a moment and put it on yourself, Alexi, imagine all the things that you say you want to do. Imagine how you could accomplish all of those things, maybe. So it's... It's it interesting. Is, it's like a self-destructive, like self-sabotage kind of thing. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, but you're romantic and you have all these feelings and you're into love and you're exploring and you're learning about yourself. So one kind of feeds into the creativity and your book is about everything you experience. So mm-hmm. it serves your work. Yeah, which it is, did. I think yeah. there has to be these periods of like where you do spend less time actually making your work and you do live more and try to like, I always sort of like try to take notes, you know, in those moments. And I kept a journal during that period of time. Um, And I saved a lot of like correspondence and I saved everything thinking that maybe I would write about it someday. Um, And that was really valuable. And so I think, I don't know, right now I'm in kind of a similar phase where like I don't, I don't have like a project that I know exactly what it is that I can go to every day and be like, this is what I'm doing. I'm still just sort of like, dabbling around but I keep trying to record like experiences that I'm having and hope that once I hone in on what that exact idea is that that hopefully all this like note taking I've been doing will just suddenly click in the way that it did for this project where I'm like oh it all relates to each other oh Oh, so you're allowing you're allowing yourself the time to percolate or to (laughs) have that moment because I I used to be very like down on myself in those moments I'm not doing enough I'm not doing enough and then I'd realize oh I needed to go on that long walk or I needed to fuck off and not do anything because Things were happening. I didn't even realize, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in my brain. Yeah, and it's interesting. So you write, and you're not in advertising anymore, are you? I sort of am. I'm working like um, uh, for. <laughs> it's funny. I'm actually working for like an old colleague um, on a couple of like small advertising projects, but I'm doing it like remotely from Portland. Wait, is this the, the character in your book that you were working with, Ethan? Yeah. I'm like so fresh off your book. I'm like, Ethan, you made? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, you are working with him? Yeah, we are working together. Um, By the way, bit. for everybody listening out there, uh, uh, oh my God, now I'm going to give a Leah Leah. What Leah. The fuck? Mm-hmm. I, that's what I thought. That's yeah. what I said. How dare you? Anyway, <laughs> Leah. Oh my God. I'm like, I'm like Ethan. So sure about Ethan's uh, character name in the book. Yeah, and yeah. yet I don't know what your name is. Uh, I'm going to check <laughs> well, in that, 10 more that's times. That's the point. I mean, I never <laughs> mentioned my name in the book. Oh God. Um, 
But uh, so, oh yeah. So Leah is a, you, you work in advertising. Yeah, and you talk I was about an advertising that. copywriter. I talk a lot about that in the book partnership that I had in with this particular art director who we call Ethan. And yeah, I'm, I'm working a bit with him now. Um, were you romantic with him? I couldn't tell. No. You were never, but you read him the story that you yeah. wrote. Spoiler alert number 12. Uh, <laughs> you read him a story that you wrote about him, but about your fantasies about... Right. Okay. This one, I wasn't yeah. Sure. And I think that relationship is interesting in that a lot of people have told me that they have never seen people write about... Um, the work, like husband, work, wife relationship that a lot of people have experienced and how it maybe kind of comes out of boredom or sort of like, I don't know, you're like put together with somebody to work with them and then suddenly you're just around them all the time and like feelings sort of start to... Or, of course. You know, yeah, it's strange. And we had a very, I always considered our relationship to be very brother and sisterly, um, which I think is a nice came to be like a really nice compliment to the other relationships that in the book, you know, one was with a man that I married and one was with like a woman, you know, who I was in a relationship with. And uh, both of those relationships also had like elements of siblingness. And I think there's something really interesting about that and how like relationships can kind of like veer into different territories, you know, yeah. over time. Do you have siblings? I have a sister, yeah. You have a sister. Who I never mentioned in the book because it sort of just was like you're like I'm not a, convenient. Because you're the like narrative. vanishing twin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like vanishing really twin, your sister's like, over here, what I about know, me? Yeah, me? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. So much of this story took place, you know, in my adult life where she and I we didn't live anywhere near each other for, you know, after high school, after we left the house. So we weren't very close for a lot of this period of time. And we since have moved a lot closer. Like she was in San Francisco when I was in LA and now we both live in Portland. So we see more of each other. Are you very, very different? Um, yeah. I mean, we're both creative and she did like musical theater and singing growing up. And, um, I think my parents sort of helped usher us toward like slightly different things so that we wouldn't compete with each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she, she's very creative and, um, talented and, um, but she doesn't pursue that as her work in the uh, same way that I do. Is it, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine about uh, what they write about. He's a creative person, but he just makes things up. He just uses his, his, his imagination. And I feel like I'm always more interested in, and for my own work, I'm always like looking at my life as if I'm outside of my body or, or like something will happen and I'll go, oh, that's something interesting or that mean, is meaningful to me. So I write everything based on my, my own life. I feel like you do this. You do the same thing. Hundred <laughs> percent. So, are you able to like? So, is that problematic for your husband? And is it? It's just an interesting way to. Would you prefer you could just write based on something you made up in your mind? I think I prefer that. I you don't would prefer know that? I, I think I do, just because I'm like, oh, it would be so much cleaner. I wouldn't have to like ask permission of the people in my life. But but then I'm like. How or have to worry about how my writing about them affects, affects them, them, makes them feel, you know. Yeah. But it's like, does anyone really, even people who are fiction writers, like not have bring some elements of their own experience into their work? Like they have to. Like yeah. where where else do? You, but you're, you're straight up like purely imagining, but but you're straight up writing about your life, which yeah. I love, and I yeah, yeah, and I totally relate to that. So I don't know. I think you just do one or the other, right? I kind of think so. I don't know. You know, like I had like they said, this idea that it, the ability to make things up out of thin air or, or something would have been like 
that's like a bigger talent or something. And so I was, was like, someday, hopefully I can do that. But then I realized like the writers that I actually really like are writers that are working more in this vein of yeah. like, you know, using like really beautiful language uh, to explore the things that are concerns of theirs like in their life, you know? And it's you, isn't it you process, it's you processing in a lot of ways what you went through, what you're going through, yeah. who you are, where you want to go. And then you, it's like this beautiful thing where you, you make other people feel less alone and then maybe you feel less alone when people yeah. relate to you and they go, oh my God, I went to the same such thing. such a goal, you know? Yeah. That is such a goal for publishing work. Um, so yeah, I think I've come to the conclusion that it's not, I don't need to aspire to do something that doesn't come naturally to me. Yeah. Um, I just need to sort of keep doing whatever feels right. And yeah. And that might be continue to be something that's more, that's really nonfiction like this, that's really based in my own experiences. But I also feel like I have had some ideas recently that are like, you know, just a step away from me, like something that I could have done that I didn't, that I want to explore, like what would have happened if I had done this thing, you know? What do you mean? Like, I don't know, like a different career. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested in, uh, I had a baby two years ago. Oh, you did? Yeah. Um, oh my goodness, congratulations. And years, yeah. And I, in that process, got really interested in um, this whole like community, at least in LA where I had her, um, of like midwives and doulas and, you know, all of the people that I worked with in my um, journey through pregnancy to birth. and That's your next book. Right. So I want to write about that and them. And I had this distinct feeling at some point that like, I want to be a midwife. Um, What? But I was like, ah, I've already, I'm like, you know, I'm almost 40. I don't want to change careers. God, we look great. Sorry, I'm making you my twin now. I'm like, aren't we amazing (laughs) in this? I can't believe we wrote this book. Okay. Yeah. Um, Well, wait. Great. Uh, oh, you're almost forty. I'm thirty eight, so I'll be thir- yeah, I'll be thirty nine in six months. It's funny how I already I overestimate a lot. I'm like, ah, I'm basically forty. Oh, don't do that. Thirty eight. <laughs> Slow down. My my boyfriend's a bit younger than me, and we're like just like two or three years younger mm-hmm. than me. And he's like, he's like, we're old now. Blah blah. And I'm like, <laughs> hey, shut up. I'm old. Relax, buddy. Yeah. I, no, you're not even I'm just old. Kidding. I don't want to say I'm. Yeah. I just. Uh, but at any rate, yeah, I just was sort of like. I've spent so much of my time now really trying to hone my craft of writing that maybe instead of just like abandoning that to go and pursue this, you know, pretty different thing that would take a long time to to start, you know, actually practicing as like a midwife. Yeah. I'm like, maybe I just need to write about midwifery or, yeah. you know, stuff you, like that. Then so, you could immerse yourself in it exactly, and like really get yeah. close to it and then write about it. You're such a beautiful, wonderful writer. Thank you. And someone, I, someone said, and I don't know exactly who it was, but you know, there's like that adage that people always say, write what you know. Yeah. But I heard someone else say like, don't, don't just write what you know, but like write what fascinates you. Yeah. And so I'm fascinated by birth and like, you know, pregnancy. So I'm like, well, that should be the thing that I explore. And it doesn't have to just be writing about like my own birth, you know, birth. It could be something yeah. else. So we'll see. This book is Vanishing Twins is kind of like writing about your own birth I and know. coming into yourself and figuring yourself out. And it's true. What was so fascinating to you about giving birth, being pregnant, what happened there? <laughs> it was... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ominous giggle. Okay. Just very surprising. I I think one of the reasons I'm so interested in it is that I was a person who never, ever thought of myself as a mother. Like, And so many women that I know, you know, had that like just 
either it was that itch or like, oh, I want to have a baby, you know? And I never had that. And I just never, as a young person, when I pictured myself, what, you know, my like the picture of what I wanted to be, it never involved a child. And so when I decided sort of a little bit out of the blue, of course, a little pressured by my age at a certain point where I was like, well, if, you know, people keep asking you and all oh, that stuff. God, yeah. So it, it seeps in where you're like, God, I guess I got to think about this whether I want to or not. I hate that. It's I really just, annoying. You didn't freeze your eggs or anything or freeze I an didn't. egg? And you had it this guy with you the whole... to get pregnant too. It did? I want to talk about that. And yeah. also, but you were with... Like you know, his name Forever. is Eric. In the book, you guys could have frozen an embryo. I know. I never thought about it. It's very expensive, though. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't have the money to freeze an embryo. No. I did end up having to pay a somewhat significant amount of money. I didn't have IVF, but I had like an IUI, and I had to take fertility drugs and all the things leading up to that, you which did. Um, you know, cost a lot of money. It doesn't ever get covered by insurance. At it least mine doesn't. That's so fucked up, yeah. isn't it? Some of my friends have had insurances that covered a bit, but mine definitely didn't, and it wasn't like bad insurance. So I don't know, but yeah, I think I was so surprised by the fact that um, that it moved me so much, and I actually one. A long time ago, when I was getting married at 23 and feeling insecure that like no one else that I knew was getting married, no one was even in a serious relationship, and I kind of felt really alone and sort of weird, even though I was excited about it and I knew that I loved this person, wanted to be with them, but I was like, it just, I didn't have anyone to relate to, and it felt like kind of retrograde, like, oh, people got married in my parents' era, and this, but not now, like, what's wrong with me? But then I had a really good friend from childhood who lived in New York um, and was going to NYU and studying, um, I think, like the beginning of studying to be a midwife and she was working as a doula or going to start working as a doula and she got pregnant on purpose with her boyfriend at 23 Wow! um, because she was like, well, I want to have had the experience personally of having a child before I help other women you know, through the process, like as a doula. And I was like, whoa, that's how, that seems crazy to me. But also like, I really appreciate the, um, like how much intention she had about what she was doing. Yeah. Most people, when they get pregnant at 23, I feel like it's like an accident. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, this is pretty cool and, and interesting. But, um, but I was also like, I felt no, um, pull toward like, oh, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) I was like, ugh. But then, and this was like very early days of Facebook, she posted all these photos for home birth, you know, in the the pool with like, you know, pretty graphic, like like the baby coming out. And really? God, I don't see that. Yeah. And um and then like, you know, the placenta prints that she made that were like on the wall. Like she was so into all of this stuff. And I remember seeing those photos and just crying like out of the blue and being so like weirded out by the fact that I was crying and having this like surge of emotion because I was like when you're 24 23 yeah Yeah. because I was like what does that mean obviously there's something there that's below the intellectual level that like I'm really relating to or feeling um and I just you know I was like oh that's really cool and I sort of just forgot about it and put it away and then when I started thinking a little about like maybe I'd want to have a baby I kept like I kept having that in the back of my mind about her and her birth experience because it seemed so joyous and produced such emotion. Whereas every other story I'd heard of people having babies, it sounded really scary. You know, like in the hospital, like this terrible story, that terrible story. It just sounded like 
a scary surgical kind of thing, yeah. whereas hers seemed totally different. So I watched like The Business of Being Born, this Ricky Lake documentary from the late 90s about home birth and again was like so moved. And then I just started reading up a lot more um, about natural birth and midwifery care and these things and I got obsessed. And then I did end up having Freya like in a at a birth center here with midwives in a tub and no drugs. And oh it was like, God. you know, the coolest experience of my life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, yeah, I think just to like, to do something that you never ever like thought you wanted to do and surprise yourself that, that you would be so into something. Um, that's like really life affirming to me. Cause then it's like, well, what's the, no- what's another thing in my life that might happen that I have no idea. Well, that's kind of like, want. that's kind of like, realizing in a relationship you can have many relationships within one relationship because yeah. they, they evolve and and change so that's such a nice thing that you can have that about yourself mm-hmm. you know that you're constantly growing and you can surprise yourself about being brave or interested in a new thing that you thought yeah. would put you off years before and it's funny like to go back to the book a little bit more too that was one of the things that i really loved about um being able to explore like my sexuality with you know, with the sort of quasi safety of still having a partner that was there throughout the whole time that I didn't feel like I was having to say goodbye to in order to have these explorations. But I remember feeling like, you know, I wasn't one of these people in terms of my sexuality that I, I feel like I, I definitely know some people who identify as gay per se and who are like, I knew, I always knew. And I just couldn't, you know, tell anyone. But for me, like the way my sexuality works is like, I I never had a feeling of like there's this thing that I want that I can't have because society won't let me. I mean, it was so buried deeper, I think, because you don't even know what you... Sometimes I think cultural ideas are so... Um, so intense that you might not it might not ever even occur to you that you might want something oh really for me at least it that's how it was and then I think as I would just sort of like try things like I didn't know like I never fantasized about kissing a woman until I was like suddenly doing it and then I was like oh wow look at that I'm doing this thing I actually really like it yeah and so sometimes I think just like jumping into things and then being surprised that something is a turn-on to you was cool and sort of similar to, I think, what I was talking about before about surprising yourself. Um, I, yeah, and then, you know, the, the, the fact that I was so attracted for, like, that period of time, especially to really androgynous women and really boyish women, like, I never, I had never, that had never occurred to me as something to, you know, be attracted to or to, like, want to be myself. Um, and then suddenly for this period of time, like, it really was. And, yeah, I just, I don't know. Your husband is so, uh, that must be what love is. This is like another level of like what love truly is that he, you guys allowed each other to explore and grow together. And it was so painful, you know? It really was. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's hard to, that was one of the challenges I think of writing the book was to like really, um, like to be able to express that pain because at the time I didn't. I think we are the type of people that can be very, very rational. And that's what I have found that people can, who can be in open relationships are often like, um, 
computer programmers, which my husband was one, a software engineer. People who are like really rational and can kind of compartmentalize and be like, this makes sense. Like humans aren't meant to be monogamous, but you know, but and they they don't let themselves feel the feelings that are underneath that of like, but you know. But I feel this. I'm jealous. But like I shouldn't. So I'm not, I'm just going to ignore it. Yeah. And I think I, for whatever reason, I mean, I related in the book to like our also intense, um, both of us were intense, like athletes, like as a ballerina, you know, you're constantly kind of putting on a good face or like over the pain and denying, it's you like know, a control thing. Yeah. That yeah. it's difficult. And he was a, like, you know, training to be a, um, like an Olympic cyclist, you know, and it's a very similar thing where you're like, you just push through this endurance Oof. thing and make it look effortless. And I think we were like that in a lot of ways about our relationship and then once we both started going to therapy, and he first, um, and he was in like psychoanalysis for like six years. And, and then you copied him. It was so I cute. Copied him, yeah. <laughs> but it was great for both of us because yeah. that allowed us to both really become ourselves and to start to talk about our emotions um, in a way that we couldn't before that I think has made our relationship last. I know there are certain parts where you wanted him to say he was jealous, but he didn't, right? He was like, yeah. oh, you know, it's okay and blah, mm-hmm. blah. And then I was just mm-hmm. thinking, I'm like, you know, listening to the book, just being like, say you're jealous. She wants you to, or right. like, tell him you want him to be jealous, you right. know? That's how I feel like I live my life where I come across as crazy, but I, I just, or I'm told I'm crazy, <laughs> not necessarily by my boyfriend, but maybe by my boyfriend. But I'm like, I'm just saying the things that other people don't say or something where, yeah, I just get explosive with my feelings. Yeah, which I like, but you don't always get a good response to that. But right. uh, it's like I want to exist a, in a French film. Sorry, keep going. No, I was going to say it's just a. I feel like it's a balance because I go back and forth too. I have those tendencies, and then sometimes yeah. I'm like, oh, it's too much. Like I can't. I'm saying too much, and then I'm like, then I'm not saying enough, and I don't know. I never know what the sweet spot is. <laughs> oh, what did you say? There's this one thing you said that was so great in the book. Uh, oh God, you're referencing a book within your book about somebody is the beloved, someone yeah. is the lover. Will mm-hmm. you unpack this for me? Because I, yeah. I want to understand it. So it's, um, it's a book called A Lover's Discourse by Roland Barth. And it's like a series of aphorisms. It's sort of little short bits about just the experience of being in love with someone and the two roles that people usually play. And what he says is that in every relationship, there is like one person who is the lover and another who's the beloved. And that usually the beloved is the person who leaves and the lover is the one who's kind of like wanting them to come back or, you know, and whether that's like a physical geographical distance or not. But I always sort of, for a lot of my, real, you know, adult, young adulthood, whatever, I felt like I was always the one that would cheat or I was always the one who would do this. Oh, really? or I was always like the lever. Yeah. Um, and it- I had never been left myself really. And who's cooler? Which one has more power? God, the lever, right? It seems like it, but also it's like kind of sad. Why? Because oh, it's a control thing to avoid being hurt or something Probably. if you're the one leaving? Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to like face up to it. I don't know. Oh, keep going. Sorry. But yeah. So I, I feel like when I, at a certain point in our relationship, um, like my husband and my relationship, it flipped where suddenly I had the experience of being on the other side. Um, when he was with the woman in London? Yeah, I Ugh. think so. And even like when he moved away and was like, I'm going to be the one who like 
takes a stand and does what I want to do now. Even if it was about a career thing, it's still all interrelated. But Because um, it means the attention's not so much on you. It's yeah. on the other thing. It's like he's cheating yeah. on you with his career or just putting more importance on that. Or Yeah, and so for I me, that, that was great in that it, like, it just shook it up a little bit. Like it got us out of this rut of like, I'm always this person, you're always that person. And I think kind of to go back to what we said about the multiple relationships within one, like I think it might take, you know, each person being able to kind of like flip a little bit and and interest the other one in a different way where you're like, wow, now you're, now I'm feeling this different thing. I'm on this on a different side of it. And I kind of think that is part of what keeps it interesting as much as it's also like really destabilizing in the moment and you're like wait what like yeah I'm you know now now I see how it feels and that is both good but also sucks and how long have you guys been together for my god we met in 1999 oh my god so 20 years essentially this year Jesus. in May we'll have met 20 years ago so <clears throat> oh god which is so much of my life I mean I was 18 yeah About to be 19, I guess. What do you prefer about monogamy compared to being in an open relationship? I think it allows me more more room to be creative because of the fact that I don't have to constantly worry about two relationships or three relationships or like, you know, you just, when you're dating, you expend a lot of energy in trying to impress people um, and figure out whether they like you or not. And like, just being able to be like, okay, like he likes me. But by the same token, I've realized that to have a good monogamous relationship, you kind of always have to assume that like that person could always leave you. Yeah. Which keep it sexy. Yeah, exactly. Whereas like a lot of my um, younger days prior to the open relationship, I looked at monogamy as like, a rut. I don't need to do that. Yeah, I don't need to ever wonder. And that made it really boring. Yeah. Yeah. I try to always tell that to, I mean, to my boyfriend, I'm just like, we can't, uh, we got to stay sexy. Yeah. yeah. We got to, you know. keep the other person on their toes a little bit. <laughs> but it's interesting because I don't know if he says this or thinks this, but I do worry about this. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just a lot. I can be a lot, but I'm thinking like, I'll have moments where I'm like, are, are we are we making out enough? I even, even mentioned that in your booklet where it's like when you're in a, mono, in a monogamous relationship, all of a sudden, you know, the clothes come off faster. You're not making out for hours and, and taking a longer time to to undress and really like... You, you do the same thing and every same thing. time because you're like, it works. And, and I'm not <laughs> saying that's how it is in my relationship, but I fear that or have an awareness of that. And I also, going back to when you're saying a, a work relationship um, and how it's kind of sexy and you get to know someone, you're always around them. I have a hyper awareness of that. You know, uh, so I'm always kind of projecting all this shit on him where it's like, oh, if he's working with another person, mm-hmm. is he going to fall in love with them? Are they going to have right. a tawdry thing? Or he's more stable than I am. He's mm-hmm. more, I think he is. That's what he says. That's what he presents to me. And I'm usually, he's like, stop projecting all your darkness on me. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, he's, he's actually not said that verbatim, but, you know, and I've, I've cheated in the past, not on him, but like one time in my life I cheated and I told him that. So, so now you worry that he thinks... That's like in your DNA or That's, something. Yeah, I think he probably does, and it's really not. I did it, and I realized I did not like that. And I never want to yeah. do that again, yeah. um, ever, because it's exhausting. Yeah, it's having, it's, it's like having a secret open relationship. Yeah, it's like which is much harder. Which is much harder. Um, but uh, so I'm very, I get nervous about the like, you know, we got to make sure we still French kiss, and that we take our time with it, yeah. and that we mix up the sex, and that yeah. like, you know, I don't know. So mm-hmm. it's just yeah, and I I think that for us too, like taking trips away from each other is 
really important to... It is to maintain yeah. that. Oh, tell me the secrets of monogamy yeah. now that you're a master of kind of both <laughs> worlds. And yeah. I think that maybe two things. One is the... Um, what we realized after that like period of five or so years where we were truly open and we could actually explore sexual stuff with other people. You're open for five or six years. Jesus fucking Christ. Why yeah. am I jealous? I'm not even your girlfriend. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe it. It's not making about me, Lexi. Anyway. But what we realized was like the really exciting part is always like the the courtship with that new person and then like maybe making out or like the flirtations and like the potential that was there but then like once you kind of made it a reality it became so much more complicated oh, that's new relationship energy right yes, that's how you refer exactly. to it exactly so then we were like well if we were just never crossing that line into like actually doing sexual things with other people but allowing ourselves to like it's okay to like flirt with someone it's what? okay to like no no to dinner with someone no! <laughs> <laughs> and God. just like don't do anything and and yeah. like just let that fuel your kind of like desire and and like then but funnel it maybe back into the relationship. Yeah. Because I think that when we were monogamous and we thought, well, a monogamous person never has a crush on someone else or never flirts with someone else, like just the things that I feel like I was taught, you know, about what you should or shouldn't do as a good person in a, like a monogamous relationship. Um were really stifling because I just felt like, oh my God, I'm like blunting myself. Like I'm like half of a person if I can't ever interact in a flirtatious way without feeling guilty. Yeah. Um, And so once we allowed ourselves that, we were like, I think a lot happier um, and created some more like exciting energy between us. And then, yeah, taking, once we lived together again after this period of like, I guess about three years in the middle of our relationship, we lived apart as well as at the very beginning of our relationship was a long was a year of long distance. So Jesus. that's always really exciting because you yeah. like get to see the person or you get time apart and you get experiences that like they may not know about. So yeah, right now at least we both travel like quite a bit without each other. And it's nice to get that alone time and then have them come back and tell you stories and not be like, yeah, I know like everything that you did yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. So those are, I think, my two keys right now. Those are your two keys. I just don't even... <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. It's funny because when I'm so... Well, I'm only a year into my thing. You're, you've, been, you've gone through way more than I have in your relationship. But, uh, yeah. I think I like... Maybe I'm just a control freak. I don't know. I, uh, I'm not into anybody. It's, it's weird. When I'm madly in love, I've only ever been in a five-year relationship. But I've, I only focus on... I can only fantasize about that person. Yeah. I don't even watch porn. I like, I can't look at you when I say this, but I, I <laughs> masturbate to the thought of my boyfriend. It's That's so, really interesting. It, I never had that experience. I've never really been able to have that many sexual fantasies about the person that I'm with. And I always thought that was like, really? there's something wrong with me. But I was like, no, there's not. Wait, what do you mean? So what did you have? About other people? Yeah, about other people or oh. about like non-specific people or just sort of, Yeah. I don't know, more amorphous, kind of hard to define. Yeah. And a lot of times I'd like think, oh, I should be fantasizing about my boyfriend. Oh, see, I think it's odd that I <laughs> fantasize about my boyfriend. I know, people, I think that I what don't we're watch saying porn. here is that it's like, there's no... There's no porn. right way. There's not. Yeah. It's like whatever, whatever kind of feels right to you, I think is what is right. Wait, so what did Esther Perel say in, in Mating Captivity? What did you learn from that as far as like... Maintaining desire in a long-term relationship. I think the distance thing, and that's where I'm talking about, like taking trips, but also, you know, apart from each other. Yeah, being apart from each other. Um, 
and having, you know, another thing I, I think she says is like, it's okay to have like, I don't want to, she might not have said this, but I feel like she sort of says like, it's okay not to share everything with your partner, you know, like, like every thought and feeling. Yeah. Or like you could have some secrets. Guilty like, of that. Okay. okay. Me too. And oh I was like, I'm like I, I want them to know me. Yeah. yeah. I remember you saying that. That's how I feel. I'm like, I need to get them. They need to know every detail about me. And then I've recently come to the conclusion, like, I don't even get me. Why do I need my partner to fully get me? I'm still figuring me out. And also like, uh, yeah, I can keep some stuff to myself and that's fine. Yeah. I don't need to feel like I'm being deceitful. I'm just being like, I don't know. I think I'm keeping some things to myself and I think that's okay. And I think that of course it can become like pathological or really keep huge secrets or, you know, I don't think yeah. that's what she's talking about, but I think that there is this pressure in society to just like, I should be an open book. I yeah. should tell my partner everything. It's we almost like too much. Friends. It's, it's like yeah. you're dumping garbage into their brain. It's like Possibly. they've got their own life to deal with. Yeah. And I also, I also feel sexier if I'm like at a party or I notice that when I feel sexier in front of my boyfriend is when I'm quiet and feeling very solid and feeling sex, just like, I don't know. And when I'm just kind of quiet and graceful and making lots of eye contact with him or, or doing my own thing and walking away from him at a party, right. I'm like... Wow, I'm like I'm in a French film. Yes, I'm, I'm self-contained. You've got some distance. Yeah, it's some distance as opposed to like, no, I want to talk about it. Yeah. Okay, no, this, this is what I feel, and, and then I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. I know. Well, I mean, what else do I talk about with you? I mean, I, I could talk about. Okay. I don't know. I saw this. Um, I don't know if you saw this exhibit at the at the barbican. Is it? I call it the barbican. The barbican. Mm-hmm. Is it the barbican? Is that the museum? Do you know Where? what I'm talking about? In London? Uh-huh. And it was about, I think it was called Modern Relationships or mm. or it was about creative partners like uh, and all of their relationships and how each one, cause very often you don't hear about how the woman in, in a male artist's life informs his work or vice versa. Right. So there, there are all these like, uh, they kind of like put a spotlight on all these like creative relationships. I think who was some Ames? Maybe Ames was one of them. Yeah. Ames and like who, like, Diego Rivera and Frida. Uh, yeah. yeah. Which I feel like I wrote about all You completely wrote about this. that in your book. So there's a whole exhibit. I can't remember what it was oh my called. God. It, I, I wish I could have it, seen it. It was recent and it might still be there, but it was called the yeah, Modern Relationships or something like that. Mm. Just Google it on the World Wide Web. But but all of them some of them were like they had open relationships or they're very passionate and jealous. They'd invite other people into their relationship. And I thought, you know, as I was kind of like going through the exhibit with my boyfriend, I was like <laughs> I was like are they more fiery and exciting and passionate and uh, interesting than, than our relationship? Are we just boring blobs? Like, what are you trying to... And then, because uh, he's very, just he's very stable. Mm-hmm. And we've actually referred to our... I, I said, how would people describe you? And uh, he's like, reliably consistent. And I'm like, how would they describe me? And I think he was like, emotionally unstable or something. <laughs> As a joke, he was being silly. Yeah. But so then I'm reading at this exhibit with him, you know, about all these like exciting, passionate, artistic relationships. But then I noticed like, at the end of each story about the relationship, it would be like, she shot him and then killed herself <laughs> or, you know, know, she OD'd on pills and jumped off a, mm-hmm. a, a cliff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, or they're open. Like, it was just not sustainable. Yeah. And it burned out. So I was like, so confused because I want to exist in a movie. I know. And I always, I always liked the fact that Frida and Diego, although I feel like he was probably terrible and she, you know, also was like, here he comes on a motorcycle <laughs> reincarnated. Okay. Keep going. Um, but I like what? the fact that they really, it's a, is this what's happening right now? Yeah. 
so I'm having I had technical difficulty with my microphone. And that's just a leaf weed, blower. Weed, weed whacker? Weed whacker leaf blower. <laughs> Welcome to Tinseltown. It's yeah. Like I know. I feel like the, usually when you're shooting, someone yeah. does this because they want you to pay them. I can't but believe can't it. About our podcast. I mean, I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> this is a, a pure joy. It's an act go of hand love. Out some, uh, some, some 20s. Unbelievable. Well, whatever. That's so funny. It's okay. That's texture. Um, I like the fact that they were married, divorced, and then like remarried each other because yeah. that seemed to me a bit crazy, but I also am like, you know, we never got divorced and remarried, but we certainly had a period of like where we were much less together than we are now. And I, I don't know. I just kind of thought that was romantic that someone would bother actually like remarrying someone that they divorced. I think Elon Musk did that. Maybe. Yeah. I think it's insane a little bit that people do that, but then I'm like, but look at me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Whatever. What does, uh, Oh, boy. This weed whacker is fucking me up. Holy fucking shit. Oh. Katie Krentz, again, another shout out to Mm, Katie, mm -hmm. who I really want to meet. Oh, yeah. You've got to meet her. I can't wait to meet her. I can't. Yeah. She, we, you know, we'll just DM. It's so funny. We have this like direct messaging relationship where we both love Vanderpump rules and, Uh uh, Mm -hmm. you know. Anyway, um, you guys should do an animated series together. We, We have always wanted to do something together. Like for our entire friendship, we've been... I don't know, just like riffing together, making little things together, but it has never turned into anything. I do yeah. hope that someday we'll do something together. Um, all right, the weed whacker is subsiding. It is. It's receding. What is what is the goal of a, of a relationship? Like, let's say a monogamous relationship. Yeah. What is the goal? Because I always wonder, it's like, because I'll find myself, uh, and again, this podcast, a lot of this me relating and trying no. to find myself through my interviews that I have with people mm-hmm. or conversations that I have with people, but... I put so much pressure on, and again, you do talk about this in the book where it's like you want your partner, people want their partner, it seems like, to be everything to them, where it's like your best friend, your confidant, your muse, your inspiration, your lover, your this, your that. And I suffer the same expectations. Like I I want all these things, like to the point of like mind control sometimes, where Mm -hmm. I'm like, what is he thinking? I must know. Is it okay with me? What is he Is he fantasizing about somebody else? Like Mm -hmm. in my worst moments, I'll. And I've said this to him, like, you know, who are you looking up on Instagram? Because that's, to me, that's like a betrayal, even though mm-hmm. that's bullshit and I'm just being a controlling, insecure asshole. But, uh, right. and it just shows that I'm more dark and sinister probably because I'm projecting this on him. Anyway, what is, what's the goal? Somebody just to share experiences with and, and have nice, wonderful sex with or what? It's funny. I... There's a book that I wrote about that I love very much called Monogamy by Adam Phillips. And one of the aphorisms in that book that he is that... We're um, podcasting, <laughs> sir. My God. I'm just assuming it's a man trying to stomp on my creativity. I'm sure it is. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> trying to stifle my chat. Okay. Yes. That Adam book? Phillips says that um, at its best, monogamy is like the hope to find someone to die with. And at its worst, it's like... a a cure for the terror of being alive. And so I'm sort of like, I kind of think it is both. And there's moments where I'm like, I want to, I want a steady relationship because I'm afraid of what life is like without it and of how I could be on my own. But I'll, but I think in other moments, I'm like so grateful to have that person there to see me through all kinds of things, you know, through, until, you know, death, ideally, right? Yeah. But ideally. also, I think it's meant to just... Um, 
I think what it has been for me and I hope continues to be is just like something that is like a stable um, place to return to while you also get to and and but but also elastic enough to like let you grow and and go away a little bit and learn things about yourself and about the world and other people but but still stable enough to kind of you know I don't know it's funny my husband got a tattoo he doesn't like tattoos at all I don't either is he Jewish <laughs> no but oh. he he likes um I think in a past life he was. Yeah. Are you Jewish? <laughs> no. Oh, I'm half Jewish on the wrong yeah. half, but yeah. <laughs> but he um, he got a tattoo and I wrote about it and I don't remember if it actually made it into the book or not, but when we got back together, he had the idea that we should get tattoos together, which is weird because he hates me having tattoos and doesn't want any himself supposedly. Yeah. But I was like, let's do it. Um, but we were like, we're not going to get the same tattoo. And he got um, a tattoo of a piece of string that's like tied into a knot but isn't pulled tight and I think that's like the best description of this of a relationship it's not like you know people talk about tying the knot but that sounds sometimes like so rigid a like little too you're tight, bound yeah you know whereas this is like it's there and it can sort of it's a little more elastic god well how does one achieve that without being in an open relationship for six years within a 20-year relationship, I how do you... Because you seem so solid. You seem so independent and creative and like in your body, in your skin, in a knowingness of who you are. Give me the... Oh, God, I almost said life hack. Oh, I want to go vomit. Okay, anyway, but uh, what's the secret? Because that's what I... That's what I'm struggling to uh, to achieve. I think I it's for- just not going to happen in a short period of time. That's what. That's the problem. What Hopefully, you'll have a long enough life that <laughs> that you can develop these things over like a long period of time. Because I think I wanted. I was so. I'm consumed. Yeah, you were I was, so consumed with Eric or your husband, right? I was yeah. So for like a good three, four years, before, you were before it started to, and I was totally happy with that, and that yeah. was fine. But and you I, didn't do anything else, right? Yeah, and I think that's like that's. Fine. Freezing. I'm just like so cold. I'm coming off antidepressants. So wait, let me see. Hold on. Keep going. So tell me about those three years of being consumed. They were, I think, really necessary in terms of um, establishing like this foundation for the relationship, you know? Really? Yeah. I really think they were. This is crazy. Okay. Yeah. This is wild to me because I actually had that thought yesterday going, you know, I was like talking to myself. I'm always in my head just talking to myself. I don't know if you're the same way. Yeah. Seems like it. Okay, constantly. good. Constantly. Good. Yeah, <laughs> constantly. I've got like three voices going on sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'll take like three hour baths just staring glazed yeah. over like uh-huh. that's where all my deepest, most interesting yeah. thing ha- thinking I happens. I went to like a, a talk like at a museum and I'm, I'm like I pretty much just thought the whole time the whole about time. something else. Yeah. <laughs> so terrible. Oh my God. Well I, oh well, I think it's the way to be. Sure. I mean, this is all I know. But uh, It's like a meditation. <laughs> It is like a meditation, but but only with all the thoughts going on all yeah, the time. It's, it's like the yeah, opposite of meditation. It's the new meditation. It's, the new meditation. <laughs> it's our meditation. But I thought to myself yesterday, oh, by the way, I used to tell people, oh, I had this thought. Uh, I thought to myself in the car yesterday, and I would have the need to tell people where I was when I had a thought. They don't give a fuck. They don't need to know where. And then somebody told me that when you tell someone where you were when you had a thought, it's a sign of autism. What? I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what they said. That's um, really funny. But I thought to myself yesterday... Where uh, were you? I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> I was going to say, I was totally... <laughs> I, was gonna, I was like, should I tell her I was on a couch just to punch that joke or yeah, something? Yeah. Anyway, but uh, I was like, 
when is this feeling of me being consumed by my relationship going to end? Or is it a necessary thing? And it will just, it's just how it is for me. Like, and time will make me feel more solid and time in the relationship and him remaining with me will make me feel secure. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like, but I don't know any other way when I'm madly in love. It's like a sick, I just, he lives in my head. He lives in, it's like, it's like he's living in my brain 24 seven. And then I also feel like if it's not reciprocated the way I love, that that means he doesn't love me as much or. Right. But yeah, uh, I just sort of feel like I got through those phases one way or another. Three years, you say? Yeah. Four years, maybe? Maybe like definitely three. I sort of feel like at least, I don't know if there's a scientific thing to this or not, but in the way that there's like. I feel like there's like seven year periods of things. People talk about Saturn return of like your 27th. And this all happened when I was like exactly that age. Oh, really? What's my excuse? Yeah. But well, I mean like the, the big like sort of moments of this book, everything leading up to it was before that. But yeah, I feel like there's like three year cycles of things for me too, where I'm like so into this, you know, him. And then suddenly I was like, what, like, where's this, what next? How do I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, like if that person is open to, you know, changing with you, then it will just continue. I was having a conversation with, I, I hate that I keep saying my boyfriend, my boyfriend, my boyfriend, but oh well. Um, I was having a conversation with him, asking him a typical question I would ask, which was, we weren't even fighting. I was like, who loves who more in this relationship? And he was like, oh, God, because this is like not as he's British also, which mm. he doesn't love talking about feelings mm-hmm. all the time, and I do. And uh, he was like, I think it's equal. And I actually feel like it is equal, that we do love each other equally. But he has called me needy before and uh, clingy mm-hmm. in, in our darkest moments, and he's not wrong. I can definitely be that way. Anyway, he's like, I feel like we love each other equally. And I went, oh, God. I feel like all my girlfriends and every book I've read says that one person always loves the other more. You know, maybe it flip-flops, but it's like one person always loves the other. You know, one, there's one person in the relationship who must love the other one more. Who is that in this relationship? He goes, I swear to God, I don't know what books you're reading and your girlfriends sound fucked up and uh, they're <laughs> wrong. We love each other equally. I know it. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to be in a relationship where, you know, I want you to love me more. And he was like, well, I don't want to be the loser who loves you more. Like, we do love Interesting. you. I was like, I, I need to be loved more. I just need to know that for my ego, my, my, my sick ego, I need that. He's like, we love each other equally. And I was like, that can't be true. You've referred to me as needy and clingy before. So how can we love each other equally if you've referred to me as needy and clingy? And he goes, just because I've said you're needy and clingy sometimes doesn't mean we don't love each other equally it just means you love you less. Oh. And I was like, and I, I was like, oh my God. Because I always think he's not as, not that he's not as deep as me, but he's not as into like self-help stuff and really like reflecting on every moment because he's just like more solid and, and stable and happy. And I can, I always want to find darkness or overanalyze every little thing and like squeeze and what does it all mean all the time? And then he says something like that, and I'm That's like... That's really profound. And I was like, holy shit. I know. I was like, oh, my God, I'm dating the Buddha. I That's can't believe... Great. And I was like, and it's true. Because yeah. it's like, we do... I know that we love each other equally, but I'm the one who's like, 
I don't know why I'm so freezing today. It must be coming off the antidepressants. I went on Zoloft. It is a little cold. It's freezing in LA right now. It is free. Okay, good. It's not just me. I'm just it like... It's like 43 degrees when oh, I came over. Yeah, I'm so cold. Ready. But I had the heater on and then... And I'll get back to the profound nature of what my, what my boyfriend said. But, uh, <laughs> but first, the heat. But first, the heat and the cold. Like, I had the heater on, but I was still cold. And then I thought I it was off. Then I realized I turned it off. It got uh, colder, and now I've just turned it back on. Right, and now my nose is time. running. It's a pretty cool heater. It's an old-timey heater <laughs> in my old-timey building in Tinseltown. So but, cute. But yeah, so I just don't know how to like... So, yeah, so... Yeah, I think I've never actually... What you're saying about one person always loving other. I've never thought about that. Really? Ever. You just no. think it's just a I just didn't assume that that was the case. Wait, what? I, n- I wouldn't assume that that was always the case, like you're saying. Yeah. But I definitely think that, like, everyone just sort of. My experience is that I think we, like, my husband and I could love each other equally, but, like, I think just the way we express the love or, like, oh. what we need out of it or something or what we get from it might be different. Yeah. And that's why it's, like, so hard to compare and say, like, we love each other equally, but... Yeah. It's like I'm looking for problems. I want to make, a prof- like, a blanket statement, Yeah, see if he answers the right or wrong way according to me, mm-hmm. which is bullshit and unfair, mm-hmm. and then live by that. But it's just <laughs> subjective and it's just, like... yeah. What's the secret of life then in relationships? Tell me more stuff. Let me wring you dry. What do I need to know? I don't know. That's all I sort of know. I'm just kind of trying to figure it out. I think right now, especially, I'm trying to figure out like what what the right... Well, I moved back... I moved near my parents. So like we moved to Portland. My parents also moved to Portland from Connecticut. Yeah. And now like that I've exposed my daughter who's two and a half, to living near my parents who are incredible grandparents. Oh, wow. Which I kind of didn't know they would be. Because Better than they were parents? I think I think they're about the same. Although I think people are always easier. It's easier to be a better grandparent because there's just a lot less at there's stake. more distance. Yeah. And so... Distance. The key. Yeah. And so I just have never lived near them and I'm kind of like trying to figure out if for our careers we can we can keep them going by living in Portland and just coming to LA all the time or if it's just going to be exhausting and we should be living here and just going up there and visiting my parents. But now I feel like terrified about taking my daughter away from them or something. So I'm like, oh. just, I, have, I feel like I'm in a huge existential crisis of my own. Oh, I'm so now. glad. Yeah. I don't want to be alone in a crisis. Right. Okay. That's why I'm like crying this morning. I'm like my, oh. all, my whole life, the last year and a half since I moved there has been consumed by this like should we move to LA or stay in Portland? Yeah. And it's annoying because I, similarly uh. to the open relationship times, sometimes I'm like, I'm, this is a waste of my potential like energy to be constantly just having these thoughts of like two great privileged, you know, positions also of like, yeah. I could, I could live in LA and I could live in Portland and have a great life in either one. And oh, I can't decide and boo hoo. But you will make a decision. Eventually. Yeah. And it's, and it's, <laughs> you will make a decision soon. And when, yeah. and then you will not have to waste, worry about wasting that energy. Right. It's interesting. Also, one of my, my mentor is a writer, Sarah Manguso, who has a couple of incredible, um, nonfiction books. She wrote a book about motherhood, um, called ongoingness. And, I don't know if this was in the book or if this was something that she said to me personally, but she has one child and is about like five or six years older than me. And I remember when I was in that phase of like trying to figure out, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I have a kid? And she was like, the one thing that I will say about having a child is that I never have to wonder whether I'm going to have one again. And I was sort of like, God damn, that's a good enough reason to just have one because I'm sick of having this 
thing in my head. Just jump, just jump into it, you know, and just do it. And she's so happy and so fulfilled by motherhood. And it is a similar woman, a similar person to me in that like, didn't really think that she would be, was like, I'm going to be a writer. That's all I care about. Um, yeah. And to realize like you can make a decision and it will somehow be fine. And also there's this thing that I feel like, well, I don't have a kid and I want one. I don't feel like I'm ready for one yet. But I think it's important to get past this fear of like, well, when I have a kid, my life is over. Yes. Because I think that's a very like youthful. And even though we're both the exact same age and it's like, but you know, I feel like a teenager or in my twenties or maybe I don't, but I am still, I'm holding on to that youthful, weird stigma in the back of my mind where it's like, yeah, like, yeah, it's over. All my dreams are done. Can't even pursue my dreams after a kid. And that's just not true. So the minute you like shake that, I have friends who have kids and they have, when they have kids, they achieve more. I know. I've heard that too. Yeah. Cause you don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to be the case. Oh God. No, it is. It is. I certainly haven't had any less success that, you know, or been as creative or felt any less creative or something like since I've had a kid, it does just get a lot more complicated. And I think that's what we're like struggling with right now is going, we used to just have, it was annoying that we had to like base all our decisions off of like, we're married. So like, how does this affect you? Oh, how does now this it's affect a kid. Like, what, what about her? And what about her relationship with my parents? And oh my God, it's oh, just so many people. It's also so many feelings. Free babysitting. <laughs> yeah, that too. That's a huge thing. I was just thinking, I was like, why is it so difficult? Just move to LA, come to LA. But then I'm like, oh my God, you've got your parents who so you trust. You don't have to go looking for some person who's going to yeah. be... And to see how much joy it brings them. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The joy for the kid too. Okay, cool. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Free babysitting. No. Uh, yeah. We've got Katie. Yeah. Katie is in LA. I know. You, you know I have so many people. She's a baby. I mean, oh, we you lived do? here for like 15 years. Oh, yeah. So, almost. you know. We have like a huge network of friends. Um, you, you seem like you lived around here. You worked around here because you go to Swingers. Or maybe you went to Swingers, went in, to Santa swingers in Santa Monica. Oh, never mind. That's where I worked. Um, yeah. What was... So, what was the most difficult thing about... Like, how old were you when you got pregnant? I was 30... Well, I had her when I was 36, so I guess I was pregnant at like 35-ish. Oh, my God, and you had problems then? Is this oh, a, yeah. Is this a woman thing, or is this like I a... I think that everybody has just having kids later now, and I think the body is just not, not as equipped easy. to get pregnant quite as easily. <sighs> However, I've had lots of... Well, I would say it's about 50-50 yeah. of my friends who've had babies at that same time. Some of them are like, yeah, first try. I'm like, yeah. what? And then other people are like, I tried for six years and spent all this money. So, Oh, my God. Well, yeah. What were the difficulties? And I had endometriosis, which I didn't realize until I had had a, a cyst, like an ovarian cyst. I in, have one too. Yeah. And like, I guess it was 2011. And I didn't know that I had endometriosis until my OB was like, oh, you have a cyst. We have to take it out. And we were like, what is it? And she's like, well, we won't really know until we take it out. And then when they took it out, they're like, it's a blood-filled cyst, which means it's an endometrioma. So they're like, oh, you have endometriosis. We scraped a bunch of it out when we were in there. I was like, whoa. Yikes. Yeah. So, But then once I knew that, um, it definitely like having endometriosis makes your fertility go down. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that different from polyps? I don't know, actually. Oh, keep going. Sorry. So yeah. yeah, I I ended up having to like use one of those. Um, what do you? What are they called? Redu- reproductive endocrinologist, like a fertility doctor. Oh wow! Yeah, a reproductive endocrinologist. Yeah, because they like work with the hormones. I think that's where the endocrine part comes in. Yeah, and like you know, chart 
your hormones at different times of the cycle to figure out like why it's not working or whatever. So she was amazing and got my, just managed to nail it like the first time. Really? did it. But I just took a long time in coming to terms with the fact that that I would spend that money and I would... Because, you know, I chose acupuncture, witchcraft, like everything. Did you? Mm-hmm. Witchcraft? Yeah. That's yeah. exciting. I did. What did you do? Um, there's Witch- a woman who I love named um, Amanda Yates Garcia, who's she call, goes by the Oracle of L.A. Oh, oh is this, so you got pregnant in L.A. This is all happening yeah. in L.A. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. I might have to ask you for a referral oh, to your re- reproductive endocrinologist. Yes. Yeah. She's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. So, But I saw Amanda like a couple of times as I was trying to get pregnant you know, and like, I don't know, it was a fun experience and we did some spells and we did all this stuff. Yeah. It was really cool. And I think it was, I think it was an important, like emotional part of the journey for me. And then like once I was pregnant, um, I was so terrified that I would lose it because I, you know, spent all this time. And so I was like, so anxious that I went and saw her again and we did like a a protective spell for the baby. (laughs) Oh my, or the previous spells just that you would get pregnant. Yeah. And I don't know if, I mean, I got pregnant. You but, did? How you soon know. after the spells? I can't remember, but I also like had the doctor. Yeah, you know, I love so all like, this though. No, you can't. I had it all. This I had all favorite. the different things. But I just, yeah, I loved working with her. Um, I never would have thought that like, you know, a lot of people like my husband included are very suspicious of like, oh my God, what? Like a witch. But I think all men are. When you say yeah, that. Yeah, what's up with a that? Lot of, a lot of, are suspicious are suspicious of a witch. That was so funny. And I'm like, yeah, what's up with that? But it makes sense. <laughs> but I'm with you. Like I'm just like into crystals and Yeah. Uh, I think that there's like a lot to be said for the ritual of of like I don't know, just putting forth these intentions, I guess. And a lot of people do that in various modalities. And I think that I'm just attracted to like this particular person, I think she has a lot of like insight and power in her own. She's an artist and writer, and um, you know, I was just like, it can't hurt. And also, <laughs> I think, I think, because it is true. I feel like so many men, it is a man thing where they're like not into it, or they make fun, like, mm-hmm. but they'll indulge a woman if they're on a date with a woman or dating a woman or something. Uh, you know, okay, like we got to, you know, we got to talk about crystals and witchcraft and tarot card readings and psychic ratings, whatever. But I think that I'm open to all those things because it just, it's hopeful. Mm-hmm. You're not shutting the door to things. You're saying it's by, by being open to all these things, it's like, not that you don't have any uh, sense of skepticism, but it's because that's smart to be self-aware and be skeptical of, of things and not just be like, oh my God, I buy into everything. Mm-hmm. But it's also like... I spent $600 on crystals. I work. Know, God. Yeah. I did go to like a shaman for like $400 a pop like many years ago. I went three times and I'm like, why did I, why did I do that? I was at $1,200, but it felt right at the time. But, uh, but I just, I think it all... Uh, I think it all adds up to like being like, well, I I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. How am I, who am I to say like that, that this isn't real? Like I have an open mind to like you know, spirits and ghosts and cause who the fuck knows. Right. So I get irritated when like somebody tells me that that's not true. And I'm like, how the fuck do you know anything? I know. At least I know I don't know everything. And you just, anyway, so. Yeah. But, uh, tell me about, it's so funny you said the computer programmers are, or programming people are the ones who are into. Sounds like it. Open relationships. People that are very rational. Yeah. Cause I watched some documentary I don't know where it was on, like Louis Thoreau documentary about like polyamorous polyamorous relationships 
and I think the funny thing is they're all taking place in like in like uh, Portland or Seattle or something. I know. And uh, and but they, but everybody seemed very angry, huh. but not saying they. They're like, no, I'm fine with it. Right. I'm completely fine. He needs to follow his heart, and we're totally, you know, this is. You know, whatever. But I was like, God, they seem like they're seething on the inside, but they're trying to be so logical. And it was yes. all like in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. What's with that? I don't know what's with the Pacific Northwest. I haven't lived there long enough to to the food's good. No, the food is amazing. It's very green and pretty. It's really pretty. I'm not sure why it leads people to um pursue polyamory, but yeah. um but yeah, I do think that a lot of times or at least I was sort of one of those people where I was just like, it's not convenient for this arrangement for me to be feeling all of these things. So I'm just going to pretend that I'm not and see it through. Oh, oh yeah. Like when you said that when, when he would ask permission to do something, if you didn't, if you're, if you didn't want your husband to do something, you wouldn't say that because it might mean that you wouldn't be able to do something. Right. So you had to think of yourself first and you're, <laughs> I get that completely. Yes. Yeah. I, and I don't know if you fall into this as well, but like, I don't know, in relationships for me, I keep referring to French films. I guess I'm like, oh God, I want to like laugh at myself. But yeah, I just feel like I'm jealous and want to belong to someone and want them to belong to me and I'm territorial, but I think it's a beautiful thing, even though it's, mm-hmm. it can be very exhausting and unfair and actually it's control. I say romantic and passionate and then another person I'm in a relationship with might say uh, controlling, stifling and right. uh, yeah. Yeah. But I just think it's European and glamorous and French. And, <laughs> I think uh, it can be all of those things. Yeah. <laughs> um, I DM'd Katie and I was like, uh, you know, what should I ask Leah? You know, uh, and she said that you have an incredible creative process. So what is this incredible creative process? Tell me everything. Interesting. Um, I wonder what she's referring to. But my process, I feel like it is very much um, about repetition and like having space like one like writing this book I forced myself to write every day luckily it was also a defense mechanism against like traffic for instance like I worked in Santa Monica and I lived in Silver Lake um right when I started writing this book I had moved to Silver Lake yeah and so I was like I don't want to sit in traffic on the way home f- for two hours. So I got to find something to do for a little while. I like worked out after work, like, yeah. people, you know, but then I was like, I should just write every day. And, and the dual like benefit of it is that I'll write every day, but also like, I won't have to sit in traffic. Every yeah. Day. So I, for, you know, three years, I think I did that where I, every day after work, I wrote from like, you know, six to eight. And no matter whether I had good ideas or not, I just, I always, would, you know, open up the document and write or like write something, even if it was terrible. 6 to 8 p.m.? Yeah. Oh, nighttime writing. At the time, yeah. I love it, yeah. And then now my schedule is just different, especially like having a child. I write in the morning now. Because um, the baby's asleep or the child's well, asleep? she's at school, actually. My current situation is that I write when she's at school from like 9 to 11, and then I work on my ad work from like 11 to... So you're still in advertising? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. I like do it remotely, so it's great because I can flip from one to the other pretty easily. Got it. Oh, remotely with, with the character of Ethan. Yeah, yeah. A real person. Okay, yeah. got it, got it. So 
I think that, yeah, doing, of course I don't do it every day, but really trying to force myself to write, even if it's just journaling or something, yeah. it feels like it's not Always in a computer writing. so you can have it there, not just by hand. I go back and forth. Sometimes I feel like when when it's the computer, I get, I'm too easily distracted or there's like potential internet there and I just can't trust myself. Yeah. So, so sometimes I'll like go in periods of writing by hand, but, um. But I, I have enough self-discipline that I can kind of keep. Stop bragging. My Wi-Fi turned oh, off. I can't. <laughs> for two hours. For two hours. That's it. Two. What Although about Instagram? Always. Is it on your phone? Are you addicted have, to Instagram? Yeah. But oh, I... Well, there we said it. Exclusive. I use the... Uh, I always try all the tricks. Like I use the thing on the phone now that's like the... Um, What's that? What's the thing? It's like a new part of the operating system. It's called um, Screen Time. Oh, I well, use that, and then I'll just dismiss it. Me too. Yeah. I know. It worked at first. And then I was then, like, oh, get out of here. I know. I'm like, I'm 15 to minutes. Okay, don't yes. tell me what to do. Right. Yeah. Um, one, the one thing that I have found to be really amazing is this like tw- 25-minute timer app that I have where you work. It's like it, you just set it, and it's 25 minutes, and like you, I put my phone on airplane, and I just work for 25 minutes, and then you take a five-minute break. And I have found that like during that five-minute break, I can't. If I get on the internet, then I'm It's fucked. over. So if I can stay off of the internet during the break and just like daydream or whatever and then go back, like suddenly I can have written for, you know, four of those and I'm like, I just wrote for two hours. Yeah. Whereas if I sit down and I'm like, I'm going to write for two hours, like I just, I'll write for 10 minutes. Yeah. And then do something else. So that also helped me during the process of that book was just like being really disciplined. Being really disciplined. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, well, you're, you're a ballerina. It. Mm-hmm. it comes oh, naturally. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, and I just, I'm like right now trying to not be, I'm trying to be disciplined, but also open to like, I don't know what I'm doing exactly for like a, a next project and I just need to keep like trying things and, yeah. you know, not worrying about what it's going to become yet, and then eventually it'll just turn into something. Because I actually started out writing this book as a novel where I was like making stuff up based on my partner, Ethan, and me kind of like jumping off from like what our real work relationship was to sort of like... A a, romance? It was going to be a road trip novel. Oh my God. About like, you know, running away from our responsibilities at work for like a weekend and pretending we were like lying to our families and pretending we were working and just sort of like seeing what would happen in that story. I didn't know. And I was like, why I wanted to write it. So I think that's what I'm talking about when I think about how I want to write now is like start in something that is really relatable in my life and then kind of just like see where it goes. Yeah. And then allow for... And then suddenly as I was like working on that for probably, I don't know, a couple of months, I started writing more about my actual life. And then I was like, ah, this is really what's interesting to me. How so long, I gave up on the other book. How long did it take to, uh, to write? Probably all in like six years. Six years? Yeah. I, oh, wow. So you have, you're patient. You didn't give up on yourself. A lot of people would be like, I've got to write this in uh, I, a month. I wanted to, but I was. that's why it worked was that I was interested all along the way because I was sort of like trying to figure out like what is wrong with me? <laughs> what What's wrong me? with this? You are, you're a lot. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, I am like, too. Why am I doing this? Like, why did I almost sabotage my entire relationship? Why? You think you know, it was a form of sabotage, maybe? Almost. You know, or like. You were just seeing what you could get away with, right? You know, there's selfish. Where I, yeah. Just kidding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. You remind me of yeah. me. And, and then I had to like reverse engineer the like, oh, there was a reason. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was all for the book. Yes. And it all went into the book. So it's all yeah, worthwhile. It all made sense. So, yeah. Wait, is your 
what does your husband do? He's an artist. He's an artist. He's a visual artist. He, so what is he doing now? Like, what does that mean? <clears throat> he makes photography predominantly, but also um, over... He's kind of like been making a living now as an artist for almost a decade, which is awesome. And um, over that period of time, he's sort of like his practice has shifted and now he uses more painting in his photographs. And I think that the next body of work that he'll make is hopefully going to be more just like paintings, no more no more photographs, but we'll see. Yeah. It's a little bit hard because you always have to kind of like your whatever your market is and like people know you as a photographer you can't oh. suddenly just be a painter but but you can but you can you and can, people can. have changed mediums you know artists and throughout history and yeah. evolved so i feel like now that everybody's a multi-hyphenate yeah it's okay but even i guess that's even more uh detailed and specific when you're an artist who's changing medium yeah whereas that's he'll be fine that yeah and he yeah he doesn't the things that he makes aren't so um explicitly personal as the work that I make. So that oh, is sort of interesting. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's how... He's, what does your boyfriend do? He's an animation director. Oh, cool. Yeah. So he... And I'll say like, oh, like what inspired you? Like he's putting together, he's developing a show and... and uh, But he he doesn't write about his own experience. He's like, yeah, my life is too boring. I uh, I, I have an imagination. I just... Ima-, and I'm like, I'm like, I would never be able to do that. Yeah, me either. Yeah. So it's so interesting. But... uh yeah. Do you think he's, that your husband is, uh, so he never would have, he's just very, reli- not reliable, but he's just like monogamous. He's very reliable too. Reliable, mm-hmm. consistent. Yeah. So maybe, I think I feel like your 20 year thing works because you're we, so interesting. And not, no, not that he isn't. I'm yeah. just saying because you're like this exciting whirlwind of feelings and introspection and like, I don't know, I'm going to try this and blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with that? What can I push about? Mm-hmm. That it's like. Yeah, he's often said that, like, he, you know, from the very beginning liked the fact that I was just more impulsive and he's more thoughtful. And because I think he felt like, you know, that sometimes he was too thoughtful or he would wait, think something over forever before doing it, you know, and that I would just, like, not think about it at all and just do it. And I think there's, like, a happy medium between the two. Yeah. And I think that's what our relationship is, is kind of like, you know, each one kind of like, encouraging the other to be a little bit more like each other but in a in a way that feels comfortable at different times and is he a people pleaser I'm, I'm, a I'm people like, pleaser? Let, me, let me take that back yeah a little <laughs> oh god i don't know why i like fell out of my mouth like <laughs> is he a people pleaser i think he um would often refer to himself as a teacher's pet i don't know if it's the same thing a but teacher's pet he always pleaser. wanted to be oh, the like best the you know best. at something and sort of like the best partner too in this case yeah, the best yeah. most loving understanding like he's going to do the best make you happy yeah he was going to get my like husband gold star or something you know wow which i think over time he's realized like fuck like that is an exhausting way to be my whole life oh, i need God. to not be that way all the time yeah so. So what happened with his relationships with these other with this one other person or whoever he they yep. fell to the wayside. They're yeah. gone. Yep. Good. Same with mine. And you never get jealous? Uh yeah. No? I get jealous all the time. You do? Oh yeah. What hap- what does that look like? What happens? Um <laughs> I don't talk about it. You don't? <laughs> no. I mean I, I do a little bit now. But why, I think why I don't you talk think about, about, it? about it? God. Probably for the same reasons that I didn't in the book is that like when he talks about being jealous about things for me, it you're like that's in my way. It ruffles my my feathers a little too much and bothers me, and so then I'm sort of like, well, I don't want to do that to him because then he'll think it's okay to do that to me, and then I'll feel like. But as we're talking about it now, I'm I should realize like I'm just projecting. I don't know that he doesn't want me to 
you know, like maybe it's important for him. And I think I learned through this process, it was important for him to hear that I was jealous because he thought that I wasn't. And I think he thought that meant I didn't care. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I try to just find a way to like say the right amount of like things about being jealous and then also just think about them and be like, what, why does this make me jealous? Like what makes you jealous? If, if like, you don't for mind instance, asking. a woman is like interested in him, like in a romantic way, I'm like, but how do you find out? What do you mean? Like, how does she even, how do you even, oh, I don't even find know. out about this? Instagram? I guess just like, <laughs> for me, it's all Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know. If I know that there's like someone that's a little interested in him, I can't think of how. I might just be like, would he ever be interested in her? Or like, what would, what, what do I want that she, or what do I have that she doesn't? How could I get that? What does that really mean about me? Like in the book, I was jealous of some of the women at the art residency that he went to. And I think I was really jealous because like I wished that I was them and I wished that I was at an art residency you know, putting my art first instead of back home being the dutiful earner, yeah. you know, having a, a job and, you know, all of that stuff. And I think that, yeah, just trying to like think about where, what my jealousy really was about and try to motive, use that to like motivate myself to be like, you know, does that mean I need to like, if I'm jealous because I think somebody's going to like take him away from me, does that mean I need to try a little harder to make sure he likes me? Or does that mean like, that I shouldn't be, you know, lazy or does it mean in this art case, like I should put a little more effort into like making fucking work instead of worrying about this woman, you know, and then it probably and then you, makes me more attractive. It does anyway. make you more attractive when you put it. That, that's <laughs> what I, I keep hearing that from everybody that I respect. Uh, yeah. They're like, no, like it's all in you. Like take the energy back, pay attention to yourself. The more you do that and the more you invest in yourself, then you become more enticing. You end up getting yes. what you want when you're not so like, I've got to try to go after it. I've got to like get my validation from external sources. No, if you stop doing that, but it's so hard to for me oh, yeah. to do that. Like it's like a sometimes I'll do it and I'll go, wow, I get he'll say I love you more, or he'll just I get everything I want when I stay home with myself. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard to stay home with myself because oh yeah, it's more easy to sabotage my own life by uh I don't know, trying to get external validation or put all my attention on my relationship as opposed to like finish writing a thing mm-hmm. or or <laughs> taking but a walk on myself. it so much better. And that's the thing I keep thinking when you do about it. when you do it. Just like, I don't know, people sometimes say like, oh, I don't like exercising, but I feel better after I do it. And that's not so much my thing, but I, I definitely feel better once I'm, once I know I like, I sat down and I tried to write for two hours today and maybe only got like a paragraph, but I feel really good about myself. I feel, yeah. The same thing. You like. Know? Oh, I did this weird thing, and I talked about this on previous podcasts. And I know we have to land this plane in a moment because mm-hmm. I have a life to live, and so do you. Yeah. But uh, I notice. Oh, this kind of reminds me of things I heard that you wrote in your book. Um, like if I wake up, I'm an only child too, so that's mm. another issue. I, I mean, I loved it. I love being an only child, but it manifests or shows up in my behavior, and sometimes not the greatest ways. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, sometimes I'll wake up. And uh, I'll just be in my head and I'll want to be alone and I don't want to text my boyfriend or talk to him and I just want to be off doing my own thing. But then if it gets to be like 5 p.m. and I haven't heard from him, suddenly I'm like, I can't fucking believe this. Like, how dare he? Or what does this mean? Like, And I get so angry. But he doesn't get mad at me if I take the time that I need. So I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. But it's just a weird double standard where it's like, when it's okay with me, it's okay with me. But the minute I'm like... 
I don't know. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Do you even yeah. Know? Oh, I definitely have that. What is that? Too. What is that? I don't know. Um. <laughs> well, I'm glad we, got, glad we figured <laughs> that one out. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm like, all right, it's a you know, it's a life's work. Oh my god, I know. Yeah, it's a process. Oh, here's the most heterosexual, uh, boring, heteronormative, or whatever question I'm gonna ask. What's the difference between dating a man and a woman? Hmm. And I mean, I really feel like you probably can't answer that because it's subjective and people are just people. But tell me whatever comes to mind, so I can ask this. I think that my experience of it then and if I ever dated a woman again maybe it would be a completely different experience but I think it definitely made me think about how I felt about being a woman a lot more than when I was when I am or was with a man yeah I don't know any other way to say it and I think it was really positive for me at the time that it happened because I think I it allowed me to like love myself more as a woman or be more comfortable being a woman in all of the ways and shapes and forms that I could be. Um, mostly probably just because it was like breaking out of a little bit of a norm, you know, and it, and it kind of like allowed me to see different sides of myself that I hadn't. And luckily now I think I can see those while I'm with a man too, but it, yeah. it was really helpful. I liked when you wrote about how like, um, oh, and you're celebrating kind of having your period as opposed mm-hmm. to like in a heterosexual relationship. Even I don't know if that's how you frame it, but that's how I'm just going to refer to it. Like your period is kind of this like nuisance, nuisance and it's like this thing that's like kind of irritating that happens or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then in your relationship with a woman, it's like you're both talking about the moon cycle and you're both like kind of celebrating it or something or just like... Yeah. And then also like growing your pubic hair out yeah. like and just being twinsies with with the woman you're dating as opposed to having to like quaff your you know vagina yeah. hair into like yeah. a landing strip or whatever or just be this mm-hmm. normal and then sending photos to your when you're in the open relationship I'm saying this more for my listeners you wrote the book but uh when you're sending photos to your husband and you're looking kind of like Parisian chic or putting lip gloss on and and then you know but the photos you would send your girlfriend were totally different mm-hmm. right yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it just allowed me to be more um, loving to yourself and yeah, accepting. like more more accepting of what of what it could be to be a woman, and that it was a lot more things than I thought it could be. You know, like what is it? Like what? Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I I feel like one thing that was interesting about the woman that I dated was like she presented in a very masculine sort of boyish way. And I think that uh, my snap judgment was that that was rejection of femininity for her. Yeah. And yet as I got into a relationship with her and she's this person who's like really like being like, no, don't like think your period's stupid. It's like amazing. Oh, so she really accepted femininity, but yeah. not in the way you thought not femininity is. the way that like anyone like lipstick publicly and... would think so. And I was just like, whoa, my mind was sort of blown that like, I felt like she was really encompassing so much more about the possibilities of being a woman than I was at the time. And I learned that from her. And I think I, luckily that will like, you know, carry, I can carry that with me. You can teach that to your daughter too, yeah, but to love I herself. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Freya is such a great name. Thank you. Also, a uh, supermodel's name. That yes, I think is gorgeous. And a, and a Norwegian goddess. A Norwegian goddess. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, uh, there's an actual. I was thought you were talking about the supermodel and referring yes. to her as a Norwegian goddess, or is there an actual Norwegian there goddess? There is a Norwegian. The main goddess oh. of, the Nor- of the Norse mythology is oh. Freya. Okay. Yeah. 
And then you said you stopped wearing mascara. I did. Do you still not wear it? You're not wearing it now. No. Never again? Because you said you look like a sad clown when you washed it off your face. Yeah. I've, I have stopped wearing it. You just stopped Occasionally wearing it. Occasionally I've tried it again and then I'm just like rubbing my eyes all the time and it's just like looks terrible. I've heard people say that, uh, and tell me what you think about this, about if a woman dates a masculine woman that it's like oh is she really gay why is she she should just date men whatever just for these stupid like people say that but what does that mean it's just a taste thing i don't know yeah it's just I, I i still subscribe to the like it's whoever it's you're the person to. it's the person you know? yeah just so much more to people than how they look and present in the world i think that yeah i don't know oh my god i tried to date women for a moment and i was <laughs> made fun of by women they were oh like, God. you're so straight, it's embarrassing. They were like, <laughs> I remember I was on like a dating app and I was like talking to this girl and and I was, I've always been attracted to like, well, either girls who look like me mm-hmm. or uh, whatever that means, which is you, um, mm-hmm. but also or also very like pale, like red lips, like a lipstick lesbian uh-huh. or whatever like the cliche. Super femmy. Super femmy, but like control, like, bo- I don't know, like mm-hmm. power chic. In yeah. heel, I never wear heels. I only wear Vans. I don't wear red lipstick, but I do wear makeup. And yeah. I think I'm feminine, but there's another fe- like red nails and red lipstick and like the sort of like caricature almost of femininity. Yeah, like or like like a BB Newworth and mm-hmm. Cheers or something. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Um, but anyway, I remember trying to like, oh God, when was this? Years ago. And I was like writing to this girl on like Raya, the dating app. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about this app? No. It's just ridiculous, bogus, like whatever, dating app. And I just remember me trying to flirt with her was so embarrassing because all of a sudden my texting, like I entered another area of my brain where I thought like, this is how I'm going to talk to women. And That's it was so like, funny. but it was like very like, oh my God. It was like, the girl was like, oh, hey, Lexi, how are you? Uh, you know, whatever. Nice to meet you. And I'm like, wow, you're beautiful. It's so like, it was just so dorky. I was like, who am I trying to be? And why can't I just be myself? But I was like, I'm going to anyway. And then like, I tried to do that a few times. Then my girlfriends were like, yeah, it's not words. Just don't (laughs) please. Like you like, man, I'm like, do I? But I think they're like, shut up. I was like, okay. (laughs) God, but it's funny to make fun of myself. But, Mm -hmm. um, what is next? You just told me you don't know yet. You're figuring it out. Yeah. Figuring it out. Something, something about, Maybe a baby having, maybe baby coming having, here. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. What do you want the world to know? What are you trying to do with your work, do you think? Is it more to process and feel less alone or is it more to like put something, some kind of knowing into the world that maybe people aren't aware of? Or I think it's what you're saying. It's like wanting to put some experience out there and, you know, have someone feel some relation to it and feel less alone because I know that's what books have done for me and that's what I want. I think to try to impart, you know. That is the work I like best too. Like who, who inspires you? Like who are the people that you, whose work do you love? I really love, so I mentioned Sarah Mangusa, who um, I was lucky enough to have as my mentor as well. And I love Maggie Nelson very deeply. Her book, Bluettes, is like my favorite book of all time. Um, And I love, but I love so many writers, but those are the writers that like I have excited me the most in terms of, 
what I want to, the kind of work that I want to make. Doesn't it make like living life an art form kind of? I'm not to talk shit about people who have cool imaginations or whatever. Yeah. Because they're good too, I guess. But it's but- like everyone lives a life and every, when people say like my life is too boring, I'm like, no, it's not. Yeah. Like if you really just think about these things and sometimes the sort of quote unquote boring things are the things that are so universal and that I think we can help each other to you know, get through if we just talk about them. Because a lot of times we just don't talk about things because we think we're the only ones that feel them or it's insignificant or whatever. It's either, yeah, you don't realize that your personal experiences are important and universal or you're just too shy to be that vulnerable. Yeah. And I think it takes a really brave person and we're great is what I'm saying. No, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 100%. I, I just think, yeah, it's like a... It's And people are drawn to somebody who can be like that, but also repelled by them where it's like, well, don't write about me or, oh my God, that's my... But it's like, why... I notice a lot of people like me and dislike me or when I'm in a relationship, it's like, a, yeah, I don't know, can be problematic. So you must face that where it's like... And you have to have like this walk this fine line of like respecting somebody else's privacy because you have to... You just have to respect that. Yeah. I, used to, I used to be a lot more selfish and be like, I can write about anything I want because it happened to me too. And But anyway. Yeah. But yeah, I do prefer, because then it makes, it's a brave way to like, I don't know, makes everything like you're, you're walking through life, you're processing it. It makes like, yeah, life is the art form. You process it and then you're brave by like sharing it and it makes other people maybe more brave or like, yeah, I don't know. I just that's, think it's, that's my goal. I just can't believe how cool we are. Oh, by the way, there is a, that was a joke, <clears throat> but uh, just if any of you are listening I think I meant that. Okay, what do my notes say? Book about... Oh, yeah, the beloved and the the lover. Okay, ballet. Oh, branding and gender. I just thought it's an interesting thing about how, like, Mm. having to label yourself straight, bisexual, gay, and then just being in the advertising world with branding where it's like you have to put a stand. I I wasn't sure. I felt like you touched on that in the book, and that was the thing, but when you're talking... It just came to me where it's like... It's just an interesting way the world is and the the career path you took of like, I don't know, things mm-hmm. have to have labels. This is mm-hmm. how it is. You've got to market something is better than another thing, which is yeah. like, and that comes into, you know, there's no fluidity. That's so interesting. And I hadn't ever thought of that, but yeah, I think that part of that maybe was why I struggled also with like how to talk about my sexuality because I didn't have a label for it. And I think like you're saying, I'm used to, Needing to be black and white, yeah. this thing, that thing, this is it's how the higher, world lower, is. whatever, yeah. yeah. Um, and being comfortable talking about something as it like unfolds in your mind, um, kind of in real time, is definitely that's so counter to the way that you would write in or present yourself, like as a brand, because you're yeah. like, here's who we are, like this is perfect, this is polished, like here's what we're gonna tell you. Yeah. Whereas I'm like. You know, had to push myself to be like, I'm never gonna feel so 100% sure about any anything that yeah. I can't wait until I feel that to like suddenly tell everybody about it. You yeah, know? and I think that I've had to realize, like in my own life too, that that's okay. Like it's okay to like let people in sometimes, like as things are unfolding, rather than be like, because you might never say anything yeah. uh, if you wait until you know how to say it perfectly. Oh, yeah. You'll never say it perfectly. No. <laughs> oh, God. I know. My whole life is sloppy. Mm-hmm. Um, side over side note, what did you think of that? Uh, I didn't watch this whole ad because I couldn't, because somebody knocked on my door and then I forgot what I was up to. But the 
was it not Menin? What was the deodorant commercial that everybody was in an uproar about? I have. I you didn't don't watch, watch a lot of ads. You don't, but you're in advertising. No. Oh my god! But it was the thing about where they're like, oh, the best a man can be, like I some male deodorant. I don't know. You, you know what I get annoyed by. And I swear we'll end this podcast. How dare you? Uh, I've got a life to live. I swear. But uh, I get so annoyed that there's like there's like what happens in the world, and then there's the the story on social media where it's like, oh my god, everybody on Twitter is really upset about this thing, and and if you want to be cool, you got to side with the the cool liberal people about. The, and if you don't, you're a bad. But I'm like, what's the story? What happened? But before you can even find out what happened, before I watch the ad, I'm already like. Mm-hmm. Enmeshed in the I know argument, so it's like all yeah. It's so it's exhausting. There's just so much shit going on in the world, and there's like mob mob mentality of how you better feel this way. And if you don't, if you don't tweet about it or you don't put an Instagram post about it that says what side you're on, you're a bad person. You're not participating. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I know I find it really exhausting. I try. I'm trying to like wean myself off of it a little bit. I don't know how I yeah. can, but just because of what you're saying, I don't want to. Yeah, like I'll go, it feels like a waste of time. I'll just go through moments where I'm like, "Oh, am I supposed to post my take on, or do I got to screen grab the thing that the person did so that my cool friend will know that I'm a good, I'm, I have good intentions and I care about the right thing?" It's just mm-hmm. such a weird thing. Anyway, I know. I'm just too busy trying to podcast. You know? <laughs> yeah. Ugh. you've never been on antidepressants? No, no. I know. I, I tend much toward um, anxiety, not depression. Oh. So yeah. But you can take No, I I took this thing, the lowest dose of Zoloft for OCD yeah. and anxiety. So funny cuz I like, just last night had a friend tell me that a mutual friend of ours went on Zoloft for anxiety and I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. You always just hear Zoloft as an antidepressant and yeah. think that that's what it's But it didn't really do anything. I don't feel like maybe it did. Maybe How I'm going to go off, you on it. Just like three and a half months. Oh, okay. I should have given it longer, but I just felt like, oh, I don't know. And I don't want this thing in my body anymore. Yeah. I used to be so anti, anti, like medication. I know. And the only issues I was having was my OCD anxiety about my relationship. So I thought maybe if I just go through the year or for it took you. <laughs> yes. Then it'll be over because it, it doesn't manifest in my relationships with friends or. Well, that's good. But, um, I'm going to try to just meditate. What do you do to be calm and stuff? Because you seem so calm. You walk into my house and I'm like, hey, it's me. We've never met. Can we hug? Sit down. Get cozy. I'm on the verge of tears. Like, I'm like, oh my God, poor you. So no. Because like, you seem really relaxed. I, I think the only way that I relax is um, by getting up early in the morning and drinking a lot of coffee. Oh, really? <laughs> I love coffee. Oh my God, me yeah, too. It's, that's my drug of yeah. choice. I just have to be alone. I think that's really what I've realized. Is like I have to have alone time. And eat, and right now with like my situation as a parent of a two and a half year old, like Jesus. my only alone time is I have to like, I get up at 545 in the morning and I have an hour before she wakes up where I drink coffee and like write in my journal or whatever like and I think that's I feel more um I feel more accomplished when I do that than when I've tried meditating yeah because it ends up just being like I don't know a bunch of thoughts okay good uh, yeah yeah. I like the coffee is the main part (laughs) well the coffee and being alone and that means away from your daughter and away from your husband right you know what and I should have said this earlier because this is a very important thing we might touch on that other people could relate to but what I find myself, this is what I find happens to me lately. I'll be with my boyfriend, arms around, you know, we're, I'm laying on top of him, we're watching a movie, we're so cozy, it's a Sunday, and I'm like, 
I love this so much. It feels so good. I feel so cozy because cozy is a big thing for me. Mm. Just loving cozy, cozy, mm-hmm. cozy. I love this word, cozy. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, okay, I could sleep over because we don't live together yet. But I'm like, we could, I could sleep over and I want him to want me to sleep over, but I got to get out of here because I know I need to be alone. I need, Alexi, you need to be alone. Like, mm-hmm. And it's like this duality yeah. where I'm like, it's going to hurt my relationship with him if I don't take the space I need as an only child and a creative person and a person who loves being alone. Be- but I can't, sometimes I just can't leave. I'm like, I'm going to stay. I know it's not healthy for me, mm-hmm. but I, I want to know what he's up to. Not know what he's up to, but I want to be around him. Yeah. I'm so addicted. But it sounds like he probably would want you to leave. Why? If, if like, you know, he says you need to be able to be a, like, you know, that scenario where he doesn't text you back all day. Yeah. Because he probably knows, like, you know, you're fine. You need oh, some time. He knows. Yeah. And I do need the time. That's all, I think that's probably really good. But I want to be wanted. Like, I want some hysteric. But if I dated some hysterical person who was, like, text me all the time, I'd be, and I've been in a relationship like that where I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Get a light. But then my ego is like, I want to be desired. Yeah. So I guess I just have to learn how to, like, be okay. Well, right. Or accept that, like... He can desire you and it might look different than you imagine him. it looks like his desiring you. And it's all in me too because he's like, yeah, stay. And he's okay if I stay or I go because he's healthy. Right. And I want to go, but I don't want him to be okay with me going. <laughs> I know. So anyway. <laughs> well, I think we uncovered the secret to uh, well, I'm gonna go. life. Okay. <laughs> don't leave me. Please. Please don't leave me. Um. Well, God, well, where can we find you? Where can um, the world... Yeah, you can find me. Um, I have a website. You Leah, have a website? Yeah, isn't that amazing? Okay, tell us everything. LeahDietrich.com. You can check out my book on there. Um, likewise, I am on Instagram at and the tide was way out. All right. It's very long. Mm-hmm. It's the last line of uh, Infinite Jest. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. oh, Jesus Christ. You're never going to get the Instagram with your name? Uh, I don't I don't know if I want or care anymore. Yeah, yeah. I'm on Twitter at Leah Dietrich, and that's really it. I'm like on Instagram and Twitter. Are you going on a book tour? Did you go on a book tour? I went on a book tour. Um, I am now... That was the book came out in September, so it's been like it's the, five or six months. That's the last stop on the book tour. Yeah, hopefully love not. <laughs> oh yeah, hopefully not. Um, yeah, I'm just you know I'm sort of in the phase of the book promotion where I've done like the in person things, and now I'm just doing more you know interviews and podcasts and fun stuff like that, and working on whatever the next thing is. Um, well, is the book available on iTunes? It is um, Audible. You can listen to it. Um, and then you can buy it on Amazon, any, anywhere else that you can buy a book. They had a really cute little display of it, in fact, on an end cap at Skylight, which made me really happy. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that was, was my dream whenever, oh when I God. first moved to LA and we like go to Skylight and just like love little indie bookstores and always dream that someday like my book would be yeah. there. And there it was like on little end special display oh yesterday. Oh my God. I was just there yesterday and then they have two Skylights. They have like, yeah, like an they art have, store. Yeah, like, the book, like the visual stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. And how do we say your last name? Dietrich. Like, that's what I, that's what I thought. Don't, 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 okay. There's that's, an extra I knew E in there that is not pronounced. I just want to make, yeah, because I, I always assume, I always ask my guests this, and I'm like, I know what your name is, but I'm terrified of saying it wrong. Because yeah. everybody says my name wrong, and I never really mind. How do they say it wrong? They're like Alexia, Alexis, Lexi, Le- I don't know. Weird. Um, it's Alexi. So I always go, uh, you spell it like Alex with an I at the end of it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Alexi. Anyway, <laughs> listen. 
The name of the book is Vanishing Twins, A Marriage by Leah Dietrich. If you are a cool person who feels deeply about many things, soul searching, or just likes to be entertained, wants to feel less alone, uh, you know, if you know what's right for you is what I'm saying, buy this book immediately. Run, don't walk. I just read it and I uh, was moved to tears and I'm going to get you to sign this book before you leave. If that's all right. Happy to. Thank well, you so much. Thank you for being on the podcast. So much fun. All right. Bye. Bye. Don't leave me.